The following podcast is a Dear Media production. This episode is brought to you by Woo More Play. Now, they have just launched the best thing ever. It is a vibrator. And bear with me, it's not a sleazy sex store gross vibrator, okay? This is like a chic clitoral vibrator and travel case. To get specific, it's called Woo Vibes I Come First, which I'm very much about. So here's the deal. I am so into this vibrator because not only is it strong with five functions, there's five different rhythms to play with, it has a travel case. How many times have I been traveling with Michael? I bring my vibrator, we want to have some alone time, and the vibrator has nowhere to go. And it's just like sitting around in the room and it's gross. I feel like I need a case. So Wu saw this white space. So they created this beautiful silicone coral case. You guys, it's so cute. You can put your vibrator in there and no one will know. It's kind of like a toothbrush holder, but for your vibrator. And you just pop the vibrator in before sex to travel with. After sex, you can throw it in your purse. But here's the cool thing. You can put it on your vanity next to your skincare. Okay, next to your makeup. It is so cute. You want it in your fucking flat lay on Instagram. And then don't even get me started on the vibrator, okay? Like I said about the functions, but it also has a heart-shaped handle. So it's the perfect accessory for solo play or partner play. You can use it while you're having sex or you can use it alone. All I know is that you're going to want to use it. Like I said, Woo Vibes is the only vibrator on the market with a cute pretty travel case, okay? So there's no more secret sex toys in your sock drawer. Ooh, this one is displayed on your vanity. You can travel with it and no one will find it when they're done because it's in the little case. To get 20% off your white and rose gold tone vibrator, use code SKINNYVIBES at checkout. That's S-K-I-N-N-Y-V-I-B-E-Z. S-K-I-N-N-Y-V-I-B-E-Z at checkout, 20% off. Share this with your friends. You can't go wrong, I'm telling you. And just remember, I come first. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential. Him and her. Uh-huh. If I told you that in five weeks you were going to be at the ATM and somebody was going to rob you and there was nothing that you could do about it, you would just constantly obsess over, like, what am I going to do if he does this? What if he does that? Or what, what, how am I going to prepare for that? And, like, that mental stress just gets magnified by if you win, you get this much money and then the opportunities keep coming. If you get, If you lose this is gone and that is gone and nobody's gonna like you happy tuesday everybody hopefully it's a happy tuesday that clip was from our guests of the show joe stitch him up shilling and on this episode it's a long episode we talk for a long time joe's a good guy he's a good friend of ours and we just have a lot of fun it's just very casual conversation what does stitch him up mean stitch him up means he's a guy you don't want to fuck with whoa that's uh, his that's his nickname i didn't i don't have a nickname mine's more like Michael, pick up a book, Bostic. Joe, Michael, and I met in Finland when Four Sigmatic and Taro took us on this wild adventure. And Joe was so quietly confident, but I was so excited to get him on the podcast because I knew he had a lot to say. And this episode does not disappoint. He is 
100% the real deal. He is unapologetically himself. He has his own opinions, thoughts, and feelings, and he shares them on this episode. And I like that about someone. You know, it's definitely not boring. He's definitely a unique individual. Um, And, you know, I wanted to point out, I just realized as I was looking at this, the notes for this show, this is episode 300. We made it to 300 episodes. You know, I'm not one of those people that like does a whole milestone thing, but I was just thinking like, that's a lot of fucking episodes. And if you think that this thing started as a side hustle out of our living room while we were doing all these other things, it's pretty crazy to think about what it's become. It's so crazy that it's been 300 fights later. 300 fights later, we've (laughs) made it through. (laughs) Today marked our 300th fight. We just got in one. What if at 301, I was like, I fucking had it. It's over. I'm done. I might say that. I might need a break, you know? So anyway, not to hang too long on... 300 episodes. I mean, woohoo, we made it 300. Um, let's get let's get into the fucking show. Who is Joe Stitch'em Up Shilling? Joe is an American professional Muay Thai kickboxer and mixed martial artist who competes for Bellator kickboxing in the middleweight division and in the middleweight division for Bellator MMA. He's a professional fighter. He's a badass. He's a dad. He's a business owner. He's a very thought-provoking individual. With that, Joe Schilling, welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Are we yeah. good, Taylor? Yeah. Oh, we're good. Okay. okay. What happened to me is that with this whole COVID thing, like all I want is n- nature. I don't want to walk outside. Like today I went on a walk and it's like there's so much construction going on. Someone almost hit me. Ten ambulances ran past me. Like I just need a little bit more uh, chill. Well, you know, like one of our friends – was saying like something happened this year in big American cities and especially like maybe LA or New York where like something died, you know, and I don't know if it's coming back. And like the whole reason you come to a place like this is because the city's kind of like, you'll, you'll spend more on real estate for smaller spaces because like the city is kind of like your, right your playground. But if like you shut all that down and everyone's crammed in, you're kind of like, Oh God, like the city's really lost a lot of its peel. And all also that's how I feel about LA. You come here, I mean, that's why I came here. It was like, Everything's going on and popping here. And then now it's like we pay crazy ass taxes, like insane taxes that we pay here. You know, the cost of living is so high. The traffic is insane. And now there's bombs everywhere. Like even in downtown, they're closing down the jail. Like I didn't, my gym wasn't in the greatest area, but it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, why the fuck do I live here? My kids, I don't want to raise my kids here. Can you imagine the gym that you would open in Austin too? That's what I'm talking about. That would be so cool. It'd be sick. You know what? The, yeah. I would go, I, you know, I was going to your gym for a little while, but it's, it's far from here. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and then shut down for a little bit. It's open. I got to get back into it because I was having, I was having fun there. The testosterone yeah, really, it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, liked when you, you were going d- to the You gym. dug it, huh? Yeah, yeah was, I took it. I dug it. <laughs> no. And, and your, is it your partner, your trainer, Mark? Like he's, dude, that guy's the man. You would, he is. You look at him and you wouldn't think that he could, he could hurt you, but that guy could fucking hurt you. Oh yeah. So him and his wife got, they're like super scared of COVID. He hasn't. He hasn't really left his house since this whole thing started. So I I wasn't teaching the classes so much like when you were there. I yeah, don't yeah. think I ever saw you there. I was there super early too. It was the only time I could get there. Then you definitely didn't see me. <laughs> so for like the first two months, we were closed down. And then it got to a point where it was like, we're stacking up this $7,500 rent every month, which is in, te- in Texas, it would be like $2,200. That's a, that's a lot of rent. Can you imagine? So three months, you get no, you know, no income coming in from the business, but now you have twenty-one thousand dollars in debt, and it's like we have to either open under the table or we're going to go out of business. And also, you basically pay to live here on top of that. Mm-hmm. So it's probably like in Austin, it would be a totally different experience. Completely different. I think it's a mass exodus of California. Right. I mean, like 
people move here because there's opportunity. But if you start taking away that opportunity, like nobody's going to sit there and say, okay, I'm not going to tolerate the traffic. I'm not going to tolerate the expenses. I'm not going to tolerate the taxes. Because like the only reason you're here is because those things justify themselves with opportunity. But if you take that opportunity away and you make it like every other place, then it's like it loses a little bit of its luster. Exactly. And I think we're like a little, mm, I don't know, more level-headed or whatever our vibe is in California. Like we, we think a little different. I guess I don't know how to put that into words, but like when you have Newsom starts talking and he talks for 45 minutes and I can't understand anything that he says, not one coherent sentence came out of his mouth <laughs> in the 45 minute conversation he was having. And then there's just like a lack of science, lack of, I don't feel like they're in, in it for our best interests. Well, this, this whole point. thing with COVID, I mean, and you've talked about this is like, what's driven me nuts is we keep talking about like how to f- try to hide from something, but we don't talk about how to prevent something. Like, it's just like hide, hide, hide. It's like that, that strategy is not working because it's not going anywhere. Like this is just like the flu. The flu didn't go anywhere. We had to learn to live with it. We had to learn to adapt. Right. And it, it's, that's not a strategy that is applicable to the entire country. Like you can't have some people in, some people out, some people following the rules, some people not like, some places open, some places close. Like it's a virus, it doesn't give a shit. Mm-hmm. And I've made that point the other day. A lot, some people really liked it. A lot of people liked it, but some people got pissed. And I'm like, this is not a political thing. Like this is a real thing. Like if you get the cold, you get the cold. If you have pre-existing conditions, you got to hide out. You got to be careful. But it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And then the whole thing is like, whoa. Everybody gets mad. And they're like, whoa. What about my grandmother? You're not going to follow the rules, and then my grandmother's going to get sick and die. And it's like your grandmother should stay in her house. Yeah. Your grandmother is at risk. She should be the one to stay home, not the whole rest of us because your grandmother might be my grandparents didn't leave the house much listen we have a seven month old now and if she got sick or she had the or we were sick like i'm not going to bring her around my parents i'm not going to bring her around my grandparents like it's just not like that's but i wouldn't bring her around even if covid didn't if she had the flu i wouldn't bring around either because they're still at risk right so it's like i don't know there's not a lot of common sense here i want to i want to go back and give the audience some context can you sort of talk to us about when you were little and you knew you wanted to get into fighting like, do you remember an epiphany that you had or was it a slow build? I was the youngest of three. My older my sister is the oldest and then my brother is two years older than me. And my brother was always bigger than me, even though he was like two years older. But he was like, even now he's like way huskier and like bigger than me. And I don't know, we used to always watch like wrestling and rated R movies or whatever, shoot up, bang, bang movies. And we used to always fight, but he would always kick my ass, like always kick my ass. We had a basketball court in our backyard, and I can't remember not once playing a, a basketball game that didn't end with him holding me down and like shoving grass in my mouth. You know? <laughs> and I think that like stoked some sort of like uh, need to prove myself growing up. And then when I was uh, 14, 15, I was always getting in trouble in school. And uh, well, I read you got kicked out of like four schools or something like that. Is that true? I did. What'd you do? I got kicked out of my. First school I kicked out of was uh, St. Charles, which is like an elementary school that I went to, and it was a Catholic school. I got too many demerits, and it was like, if you didn't do your homework, it was two demerits. If you Then you would have to bring those demerits home and have your parents sign it so they know about it, and then I wouldn't do that. So that would be like two more. more. And then, yeah, it's just uh, the first year that they started giving demerits. It was, you weren't allowed to have more than like 23, and I got like 25, and they were like, you got to get up. So then it kicked me out of that school, and then I went to um, my first public school when I was sixth grade, I think. And by the end of that year, I was same thing. I was just whatever somebody told me to do, I would just do the opposite. Like I didn't really have. I was like mischievous, or you just, or were you angry? I wasn't even like a bad kid. I just didn't. I didn't like being told what to do, and I just, I. It's weird now as a parent. 
I ne- I always thought it. Was, I don't know why, but I always thought it was was like not cool to do your homework. It was not cool to get good grades. It was not cool to be a good kid. Which now looking back just sounds so fucking stupid. But like, <laughs> my kids are the exact opposite of that. And you know your parents are like, wait till you have kids. They're gonna be just like you, and you're gonna see. And like my mom was so wrong. My kids. I think I've raised my vo- my voice at my son like once. He's 14. Yeah, they just never wanted to be in trouble. They don't want to be bad kids. And like with me, it was. That was all I wanted to be. I don't know. So stupid. No, it makes sense. I think it's I think it's an authority thing. I was a terrible student myself, and I and it was never that I didn't that I couldn't apply myself or that I didn't understand. It's that I just hated being told what to do. And mm-hmm. I think like that that's why the school system's not always such a good thing because you get you put people in a box, and if that box doesn't fit like their mold, mm-hmm. and they then you know it's not set up for every for individual success. It's kind of like you follow these rules, you do these things, and one day you have this. Like very, you were so bad. You were like mooning at the principal. But not yep. like, did that? Yeah, but yeah. not like a uh, yeah, school bus. Flicking the, the teachers <laughs> off. You did know, that. it wasn't like an angry trouble kid. It was more of just like what you're talking about. Like, I just didn't want to do things or like, you know, apply myself to certain things. If I didn't, like, if I wasn't interested in a subject, I'm like, what am I doing here? And right. like, you know, I, I look back on it now. Yeah, that's exactly how you are now. Uh, <laughs> But, but know, no one like thought like Michael's a bad kid or like that guy's got problems. Well, I'm sure like, like probably there's some teach you know like probably some teachers did, but my pa- like my parents never did. Like my, mm-hmm. they would bring my dad in all the time, like yo, your son is a, a full mess, and he'd be like, you know, he'd play the part. I'm like okay, okay, I'll take care of it. And he'd just come give me a talk to, be like, what are you, what are you doing? Like smack upside the head or whatever. But he never thought that I was like going down a bad path. He was just like yo, like you got to kind of like toe the line here a little bit. So right. when did you know you wanted to actually get into fighting professionally? So I, I was getting in trouble. I got kicked out of those schools and then I got sent to like an alternative school, which was like all the, in high school, like where all of the surrounding counties sent like their bad kids to this one school. And then it was like a really small school and it was like metal detectors on the, at the front door and they would like come in and search us like randomly. And like even then I had like drugs and, and cigarettes in my pocket at school. Like I was just dumbass kid my stepmother had passed away when i was like 16 and that for whatever reason gave me just full i don't give a fuck anymore about anything you're super close then then it was like yeah we were pretty close more probably more close than i was with my dad i think i had daddy issues growing up my dad was like a fall down alcoholic and i always wanted like approval from him my stepmom kind of stepped in and, and made my dad play the role i think a lot better than he would have so anyway, she passed away when I was 16, and then that was like, yeah, fuck it. Now I'm gonna, now I'll smoke right in front of you. Now I like, just, I just didn't give a shit anymore. I started eating like acid in, in class when I was Jesus. Like, a freshman in high school. So I would get like five bucks for lunch money, and I got sound horrible. My mom would give me like five, five or six bucks or whatever for lunch money, and I could buy a hit of acid for five or six bucks, and then that would last me, you know, four or five hours of the day of the six-hour school day. Just and be then, tripping on acid. Yeah, I'd be like tripping in class, just like. <laughs> what does acid feel like? I've never done it. It's like a, bo- a body buzz, and then your perspective on everything you're seeing is different, like visually and like the way that you think about things. You know, if you're having like a like a positive note, if you had like really negative energy or, or uh, really didn't want to be somewhere, you took acid or you took like mushrooms or hallucinogen, it would like twist your perspective to like, oh, this isn't so bad, or oh, you know, you focus on other things, I guess. So you'd be in class, like, just, like, to- but totally normal. No one yeah. would know. Well, and when you're, like, 15, 16 years old, you're all, like, sweaty, goofy kids that are un- awkward and uncomfortable. So right? you can't so really, like... Nobody really notices. They're just, like, oh, that kid's, like, spaced out and has acne or whatever, right? So I did that a lot freshman year, and I was smoking weed, and I just 
not showing up to class, getting in trouble constantly for not being in class, getting really bad grades. My mom, I don't think how I got caught. I don't know, at some point my mom started giving me a drug test. Like I would, co- I would, I got caught sneaking out of the house, sneaking back into the house, and then the next day she like took me to get a drug test, and then I failed the drug test, and then she was like, at that point she was like charging me with unruly. Apparently you can call the cops on your kid if they're underage, and you can have like charges brought against them for being an unruly kid. What do they do when you're what, like? What can they do to you when you're a kid like that? They, they don't put you in the clink, right? No, they put you in like. Uh, you know, like community service, and you just start your thing in the system, which I think is terrible to do to your to your own child. But well, yeah, because it puts yeah, but I mean, it puts you on the radar of, of like those type of people. Right? Yeah, right. But in my mom's from my mom's perspective, she was like, he's he'll take this more serious. This will be whatever. But it didn't it didn't work. So my mom was like, you know, you're you're fucking up. You're doing all this shit. You're out of control. I'm gonna send you to a uh, like a rehab center. She sent me to this out outdoor program where we had like we were in the ship like flew me out to idaho and it was like you had to live off the land you had to hike 10 miles a day and all this crazy shit for like 21 days and when you get back from that most of the kids would go to a boarding school my mom didn't want to do that and i don't think she could afford it at the time but she still like put that over my head like you have to find a hobby and we're gonna put you in a boarding school and i was like man i I just want to fight i'm pissed off i'm angry mad about my dad i'm mad about being in trouble all the time i just always wanted to fight and she took me to a martial arts gym she worked for the Better Business Bureau. So, okay. like, Better Business Bureau, if you are a good company, you can sign up and register with them, and then they'll promote you as a good company. So you'd be like, what gyms are good? And they'd be like, oh, this person's a member of the Better Business Bureau. They have excellent reviews, whatever. So my mom had signed up a martial arts gym, and she took me to that gym. And the first day I went, I was like, this is the thing. This is the shit. Yeah, this is what I want to do. Because the instructor was like, looked like a badass. You could tell all the girls in the class liked him and all the dudes wanted to be like him. And I'm like, I want to be like that guy. Hold up. We are going to talk about blue light. Okay. It damages our eyes, which leads to digital eye strain. We are all staring at our phones, our computers, our iPads, whatever. So it's important to find something that can help with that. It also completely screws up our sleep, our circadian rhythms. We've talked about this so many times on this podcast, and you guys have probably seen me running around the house with those weird glasses that have yellow lenses and red lenses. It's because I'm trying to get the blue light out of my brain so that I can get better sleep, so that I can function better as a human being. So enter Blue Blocks. Blue Blocks was created to fix these problems and block out the blue light with evidence-based high-quality lenses. My personal favorite is the very nostalgic but comfortable and charming Chester. I have been wearing them every single night. They're so, so cute. They fit my face right and flatter my face. So they're not like these lumbering, ugly glasses. They're actually glasses that I wear out and about. A lot of people are working remotely. And with that, we're on Zoom a lot and we're on our phone a lot. And when I noticed I was getting these terrible headaches. And so I, I started asking like, why am I getting worse headaches this year than I have ever before? It's not just because we're indoors. It's because we're staring at screens more and more, more than ever. It's really bad for you. It's really bad to have this light just constantly drilling into your eyes and into your brain. One cool thing that I think that's awesome about these glasses too at Blue Blocks is the founders weren't happy with the quality and lack of science behind leading blue light blocking glasses. There were all these other companies that were mass producing unevidence backed products with no under 
understanding about how light impacts health. So they really created blue blocks to change this with high quality lenses. I'm telling you, check out the Chesters. They are so chic. You will want to wear them all day, every day. Get your energy back, sleep better, and block out the unhealthy effects of blue light with blue blocks. Go to blue blocks today and get free shipping worldwide with 15% off with code skinny or go to blueblocks.com slash skinny. That's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and use code skinny for 15% off. You know what's weird? Like when we first, you know, we and we, maybe it also gives some content. We met in Finland and mm-hmm. then we went with Taro and all those guys at Four Sigmatic. And, you know, when you, you know, when you meet your partner or trainer, Mark, he's an unassuming guy that will kick the shit out of you if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. But if you look at you, you're like, okay, this guy will actually like kill you if you're not careful. <laughs> like that's the first thought. But, you know, obviously under that, like you're a very, in my opinion, nice, humble, calm dude. And I wonder like, do you think <clears throat> fighting maybe took a little bit of that anger away and helped channel some? Because it's like, you're now like knowing you, you don't like, obviously you're a capable person and everyone's aware of that, but like, you're not, an overly aggressive aggro dude that is like out there saying like, I'm going to like kick your ass and all, you know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. that's something like maybe fighting help channel. Uh, for sure. For sure. So mom took me to that gym when I was 15, I think. Yeah. I liked it right away. So then I was pretty much grounded from everything else. And my mom would be like, all you're really allowed to do is go to the gym. Right. So I would go to the gym and then I would, it would train or whatever. And after a couple of months, the instructor started being like, hey, I can't be here at such, such day. Could you help me teach the class? And then all of a sudden I was this 15, 16 year old kid that I always thought that adults and everybody looked at me as like this bad kid or like the, like lesser than. And once I started teaching, it was like, whether you were a doctor or somebody's dad or mechanic, whatever, they were asking me for my opinion and listening to it. And that really hit, like struck me like, oh shit, I'm onto something here, you know? And then I had my first fight at a bar I wasn't old enough to get into when I was 17. Like it was a professional fight or like a semi-pro fight or it was like you just got in a fight? So back in Ohio, you remember that show Tough Man Contest back in the day? So Tough Man Contest was like a, that was like a brand, but there was lots of little fights like that all over the- Does that still exist? The back back east. I don't know if it still still exists or not, but back, I think now they have athletic commissions that don't allow that. Yeah, yeah. Basically, what they would do is they would have a, a bar that wanted to have an event, would put up a ring in the bar, and then they would send out flyers everywhere, and it'd be like, toughest guy, baddest guy, cops, bouncers, construction workers, anybody can fight. And then everybody, all the drunks would go to the bar to see who see this wild fight. I guess there wasn't a whole lot of people that wanted to sign up for these things. So when I went, they weren't like checking my ID. It was uh, like, we need anybody. Yeah, and they're like, here's my 20 bucks. And they're like, oh, perfect, you know, get on the scale. I fought in a bar I wasn't old enough to get into, and I won, I think like I knocked him out with like a body shot in the first round. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm in this bar, I'm not old enough to get into, all these girls think I'm a badass, all the guys are like, it was fucking awesome. And I was like, this is what I'm, this is my shit. This is what I'm gonna do. And then that was just, that was that. And from and how long from there do you start going pro and like actually taking this very seriously? Very seriously, it wasn't until I moved out here. I moved out here when I was 19, so two years later. And it was just that, I didn't see myself, I was working at like a gas station in Ohio and everybody that was around, nobody had really, where I grew up in Ohio, and no offense to the people back home that may or may hear this, is like if I went, I've been gone 16 years, but if I go back now, I'll still see the same people working at the same bar, the same gas station, and I have kids and whatever, and that just was never my 
ambition of what I wanted to be, you know? How much strategy goes into fighting? A lot. So there's a lot of like, is, are you like working on, like, are you reading like Robert Greene books? Or are, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it a lot of like mental stuff that you're doing? Like, are you like listening to podcasts and consuming a lot of books? Or is it more you're actually in the ring? Both. I do a lot of mental stuff too, especially when I was younger. So when I moved to LA when I was when I was nineteen, it was like, all right, I got to just make this happen. And nobody back home believed I was going to be able to do it. Kickboxing wasn't even really that big of a sport here at that time. There was a lot of affirmation, daily affirmation type stuff, and I used to listen to a lot of like Tony Robbins esque type motivational stuff. You know, um, cut and edited Rocky videos or whatnot. And that, that actually helped me a lot. And then once you start to have a little bit of success, then all of that doubt starts to go away because like I've been scared, I've pushed myself and something good's happened. And then setback, setback, setback. And then I pushed myself and something good happened. And then now I don't, I don't really feel For the guys that get to, to your level, like how much of it do you think is physical ability and mental now? I mean, like obviously the games just keeps like leveling up, leveling up, it's such, become such a big phenomenon, it's a big sport. Mm. But like how much of that now, when you, when you look back, do you think is like mental versus physical? I think it's both, but there's definitely like a mental trait that you could be super physical. Like there's great athletes in the NBA that could never do well in fighting. You what do you think I mean? the reason is? Like, what do you think is missing from like a, a mental trait to be able to to do this? I think it's a, there's a lot of fear involved, and I think there's a lot of stress involved. I think most people don't have any idea how stressful a fight camp is, or like if if I told you that in five weeks you were going to be at the ATM and somebody was going to rob you, and there was nothing that you could do about it, you would just constantly obsess over like, what am I going to do if he does this? What if he does that? Or what, what, how am I going to prepare for that? And like that mental stress just gets magnified by if you win, you get this much money and then the opportunities keep coming. If you get, if you lose, this is gone and that is gone and nobody's going to like you. Well, and it's just you and some other person in the ring. It's like a very animalistic thing where it's like, right. you're like playing basketball. You got a whole team to support you. Right. And like one game doesn't necessarily matter as much as one fight. Right. Maybe that's an overgeneralization, but I assume that's true. Like, you know, Lakers go out, they lose a game. It's like, okay, we'll get the next one. But like, you go out and lose a fight. Like you said, it, it changes the whole trajectory of what you're doing. Right. I think, I think a, a loss will cost you a year in fighting. Jesus. What's the um, most nervous you've ever been before a fight and why? Was it the opponent? Was it because it was a new fight? Like, and you hadn't done it a lot? Mm. I think the, I don't get nervous. Like, I'm afraid I'm going to get hurt. I get nervous, like I'm afraid I'm gonna let people down. Like I'm very emotional when it comes to that stuff. And like uh, who, like your your camp, myself, my my team, my kids, my my coaches. You know, I feel like there's a lot of the city. The the when I was fighting kickboxing, I was like the representative of America, and it was like it was a big part of my motivation was to show that there's high level kickboxers here in the U.S. because we have a terrible reputation worldwide when it comes to that. And I was like the first one to. I was the only American to ever win a global combat tournament of any kind. I was the first W, not the first WBC world champion for America, but I was like definitely the most well-known one. I think my, when I fought Glory 10, which was a huge tournament for me, I was coming off of, I had lost three fights in a row. Two of them were by knockout and I hadn't fought in a year. And I got put into this tournament, which was like the best top four middleweights in the world. Probably top three. I don't know if I was there yet, but they needed like a, token American to put in that opportunity. And I had so much 
so much pressure, but like I wanted that so bad. Like I could like coming up like fight week, I could think about it and start crying because I wanted it that bad. Yeah, I won. I won. Uh, I was like a four hundred to one underdog, and I won one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which I had like eighty six cents in my account at the time. Like we went to the weigh in, I had to borrow money from my coach to get to the weigh in, and then when I won, like my kids were there. It was that was like huge, and then after that the nerves weren't as much because I knew what I was capable of. You know what I mean? And then it was like the balancing act of staying on top, which is also, also just as difficult. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think people realize like how stressful that can be. And like, obviously you can't relate to it unless you've done it. But if you think about it, like like I said, with, you know, in a business, you have a whole team. You know, in football, basketball, all these things, you have a, you have a team. Mm-hmm. And I know you have a team in fighting and you have a camp, but like really at the end of the day, you go in the ring and it's you and one other person and you have the whole, you know, whoever's watching, whatever, like I'll say the whole world, but a lot of people just sitting there judging you. And like, I feel like in your sport, there's so many, you know, you get these like bros that are so quick to be like, oh, you fucking suck and all that. And it's like, you know, you, you know, there's levels of fighting. And if you're like, maybe you are in the top like 5% of people that can actually like really fight in combat sports but like you get all these voices coming in like attacking you personally if it doesn't if you you know don't oh, knock yeah. somebody out way worse it's like it's way worse i want to talk about skillshare how many of you guys are at home wanting to launch a brand or a business this site has you covered. They have everything from Shopify theme development. They teach you how to build a website, how to design it. They give you graphic design tips. It's kind of everything in one. So if you're sitting around saying, I don't know how to do something, and you're using that as an excuse to get in your way, you now have Skillshare. So no excuses, right, Michael? One thing I always like to point out to people when I'm talking to them is that it's also handed us a couple gifts. One of those gifts being that we have a lot of extra time at at home that we can utilize in a very productive way if we decide to try and be productive. And one of the best ways to do that is by learning a new skill. You're sitting at home, you're on your computer, you're wondering, what should I do? How do I add more value? How can I make more money? How can I be a better person? How can I be more productive? All of those things. Well, Skillshare is the answer for you. And to get really micro with you, like I always like to do, I had a lot of Skinny Confidential team members go in and take a bunch of graphic design classes. So you guys have asked me how I get my Instagram story graphics like that or how I get the graphics on my blog like that. There is so many classes that go over this. So I had them do the Adobe Photoshop class. Um, Like I said, you can go to the graphic design section and there's multiple classes on how to explore graphic design. So like I said, really, there's no excuse. So what exactly? is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. If you're wondering where to start and you just want to figure, like maybe you want to start and learn how to be more productive, there's a class by Greg McEwen who wrote Essentialism, and he's been on this podcast. He has an amazing class there. And as always, we have an amazing offer that you just can't pass up. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com skinny, and the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare premium membership. Again, that's free. Receive free access to thousands of classes for a limited time. Be one of our first 1,000 to sign up at Skillshare.com skinny. Do a lot of people cheat in the ring? Cheat? Yeah. Uh, I think steroids is is way bigger part of the sport than, than the average fan realizes. How do they get away with it if they test? Uh, I don't know. 
Do you have a problem with people taking steroids or no? Or do you think it's like, what's your stance on that? Uh, I think that the way it is now is the way it should be. I think it should should be. It's got to be a fair playing field for everybody. But like my favorite fights were Pride back in the day in Japan, where everybody was on steroids and was like monsters <laughs> versus monsters. Like I, from a visual perspective, I I appreciate that. But as far as, but I some think, of these things are like helping people fight for longer now, right? There's like like if you taking like say like you're an older guy, but you can take something to to like extend your career. You know, because I think about fighters, like what is the average age of a fighter, like where you can actually before you have to retire? Oh, for sure. Like the, definitely, fighters are, are lasting longer now. It's probably a good thing, not to. just for the sport, but for you know, if you're doing that professionally, like it's stressful also to be having a limited period of time. And like shit, like now I'm done. Exactly true. But the downside of that is if one guy is in his prime, so to speak, and then this other guy is taking steroids so that he can last longer, and then he fucks up your prime and now you're not the same guy anymore that you used to be because i think that's another big issue is like you see some of these guys have these like phenomenal insane fights that are like they go down in history but then that most of the time those two fighters aren't the same after that you know what i mean it takes a lot out of you emotionally physically on um, every kind of aspect of who you are when you're done with the fight do you want a blowjob do you want a beer do you want to go to bed like what's the vibe after the fight all of the above. All of the above at once. Okay. Probably <laughs> also depending if you win or lose. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. probably true. What's the, what's the worst injury? And I'm sure you get asked this all the time that you've had where you're like, fuck. I uh, blew out my left knee <clears throat> about seven years ago. I tore my, your, my, tore my MCL, ripped it off the shin bone, which oh. allowed my knee to come out of the socket, which tore my ACL. And then it shifted so hard that it partially tore my LCL. So you have four tendons in your knees and three of mine were, were torn that one sucked i had my i got i did a long long time ago i fought in this underground kickboxing match and it was kickboxing with mma gloves and it was in like a waste management parking lot i don't know if you guys know about waste management but it's like pretty much a cover for mob stuff since, since like forever even like the sopranos they always have like oh, yeah, waste yeah. management right so there's a whole bunch of gangsters and like the thing i got hit in the jaw and i couldn't chew for like four months and i had like shoot anytime i would like if you, if you just like rubbed my face the wrong way i would feel like i was getting stabbed with an ice pick in my ear and that was really that one was probably worse than my knee injury for sure when you get hurt do you go straight to the hospital or do you just try to figure it out it's usually just figure it out I have a, I don't know if you can see it. Probably not. There's a scar. No, we can see it. Yeah, the yeah. scar right there. Not the, not, not the line. No, not no, no, the no, line. There's a scar, scar right, yeah, there. right there. I got hit with an elbow in a Muay Thai fight. Probably. I used to do like a. 2005, maybe. Little boxing as a kid, like nothing crazy, but just like, you know, that. And then, you know, when I started going to your gym, we got introduced to Muay Thai. And I was like, oh shit, I've never actually had to think about an elbow or a knee or somebody kicking me in the side of the head. And there was literally girls in your gym that were kicking my ass. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. But that's just like, there's levels to this stuff when you For start, sure. when you start to think about it. But honestly, I think at some, I think at some point, every guy, girl should do some type of combat training, even if it's limited, because it gives you a, like a different type of confidence and awareness. Like Absolutely. if I... Knowing, like, not looking for fights, but knowing how to potentially protect yourself from. You, know, you look at what's going on in the world right now with all these crazy people running mm -hmm. around and attacking everybody, and like knowing that you could handle yourself in a limited way, it gives you a different type of awareness and a different type of confidence. Because there's so many people you watch, like they don't know what they're doing at all, 
And it, it's honestly, it's, it's a liability if you're not, if you're not able to protect yourself in a limited way. I want her to go do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually this morning, one of my students who's not particularly great, he's been training a couple months or whatever. I wouldn't say he's ready to fight anybody as of yet, but he uh, asked me, he's like, do you ever notice that like when you start at the more you learn how to defend yourself, the more situations seem to come up that you, that you feel like you need to defend yourself. And I said, what's interesting about that is that the situations aren't changing. You just feel more secure in yourself and you're realizing that guy should get his ass kicked. You know what I mean? So like when you don't feel like you can defend yourself or that you can stand up for yourself, you let people walk all over you. So you carry yourself different. You're like, you know, I don't fuck that dude. He shouldn't, I shouldn't, you know, but like before that you were feeling this smallness in your, in yourself that you felt like, Oh, I just got to take that. Like, oh, I just got to take that. And like, what a horrible feeling that when is. When predators sense that, like right. shitty predator, like, you know, you, I think you, there's certain people you encounter and even like, they don't need to be like scary looking people, but you could just look at them and be like, okay, that's somebody you maybe don't want to fuck with. But then mm-hmm. there's other people who are like, okay, that person, if they get fucked with, they're just going to be, you know, walked all over. Do mm-hmm. you like encounter a lot of fights outside of the ring and outside professionally? Like, do people go looking or do they leave you alone? Cause they can just tell. Not really. Drunk people, sometimes they do it. And I think there's like, I really can't control it, but I get told all the time that I'm intimidating. Like I intimidate people all the time. Like, oh, you just look all, I don't know, you're so intimidating. I'm like, well, it's just my face, you know? But people like assume, like like you said, like, oh, this guy cried, you know, this is somebody. Right? Well, if you look at like, also, like, like if you were to just meet you, that would be one thing, okay. But if you, like when we went on the trip, I'm like, okay, who's this guy? And there's like literally a picture of you like drop kicking someone in the head <laughs> or like bringing your knee up and like literally like someone's head is like across like 20 yards away. So like that can also add to right. the- But I get that a lot where people say like I'm intimidating or whatever. I, I can't really control that. I try not to, but I don't, I don't necessarily hate it either. But that same way that some people are feel intimidated by me when they're drunk in a public place, they're like- there's something about this guy, and I, I don't know what it is, but uh, I want to fuck with him. You I know what I mean? Him. Yeah, so then I get stuff like that, but most of the time it's, it's not that big Wh- a deal. What do you do? Like if someone comes up to you and tries to fight you and they're drunk, what's the move? Those uh, people are no longer with us, Lauren. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just uh, I usually try to blow it off. You know, like it's not something that I'm looking forward to. You know, I'm, I'm definitely not looking for a fight most of the time. Yeah, usually it, it doesn't take long for them to change their mind. <laughs> Speaking, of, yeah, I imagine. Speaking of. Um, people fuck with you. So I wanted I wanted to talk to you because I was I've been following your shit a lot this year because obviously there's the craziness of the world that's going on and mm-hmm. like we see all these riots and you know protests and there's this cry to defund the police which we haven't talked about on the show and I'm sure like it's gonna be polarizing, but you know there's obviously you know there's that whole um, skit by Chris Rock I think where it's like bad apples and like I think we all agree there cannot be bad apples in police precincts because right. you can't it's not, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's one of the jobs in this country that like there you can't like you cannot have bad apples big period just like you know pilots and that's what he says and you started highlighting a lot of police brutality videos which was like some of them are actually like really hard to stomach because it's just like terrible what these people are doing but then i think i think your point and tell me if i'm wrong was to point out so, some of these people that should you know, be kicked out of their jobs or lose jobs or just be removed. But then it kind of went the other way where it's like defund. And I think we all agree, like there needs to be some level of protection in the country, but there also needs to be some level of accountability. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I, there's for sure. And back since when I was a kid, I had issues with police that they were doing things that weren't right because they have this, this like immunity, they can get away with whatever they want. And 
I just don't support that in any level. Like nobody should be able to just do whatever they want. And then especially when you have such a such a, a dominant uh, position over people. You know what I mean? Like you could ruin somebody's life. You could take somebody's life. So when the whole thing started coming up and it was like, oh, it's a few bad apples. And I was like, no, bro, there's lots of fucking lots apples. Of there's apples. lots and lots and lots of bad apples. And then somewhere along this political it's this whole year just seems so political and doesn't make any sense. Like you weren't doing a, it for a political thing. You no. were doing it to highlight shitty people. Yeah. Like shitty people. And I never once said, let's take away all of the funding and make it, you know, but then now this, and I'm sure I'm not a reason behind that, but the, now it's like defund and they're shutting down jails and they're letting people out of jails over COVID-19. If COVID-19 was so real and we have to wear masks, why don't you give the prisoners masks in jail instead of letting rapists and child molesters and, and, murderers out on the streets because you're afraid that they're going to catch a cold. I'm not that worried about a murderer getting sick and in, in jail, you know, but now like defunding it and like not. So now it's like in New York, I heard that there's like a, if you call the police and say there's a, a shootout going on, they'll wait an hour to show up because they don't want to be a part of it and they don't want to get fingers pointed at them or whatever. And then when you defund, when you defund, if you defund and take, I don't know, some large amount of money away from the L.A. Sheriff's office, Beverly Hills is still going to have sheriffs. You know what I mean? Yeah. West Hollywood is going to. It's the poor it's areas the, that the are going to. The poor suffer. areas where the highest amount of crime are are the ones you're taking all of that stuff away from. And um, I don't think people have thought it through. I yeah. don't think they, they think about the repercussions. Like, okay, defund the police, defund the police. But then you start doing that. And if you get, like you said, you leave the rich areas, they're fine. Like they're not going to, mm -hmm. nobody's getting defunded there. The poor areas are going to suffer more crime and there's nobody to help and nobody to respond. And I actually, like maybe I'll get in trouble for this, but I actually think it's the opposite. That you need to fund more and get proper training and teach people how to do it. And there should be stricter regulations to get people into a badge. I mean, like how... I imagine like the, the average police officer, they come up against a guy like you or somebody that wants to do them harm. Like they probably have very little actual combat training mm -hmm. to be able to fend somebody off. Like we should teach them how to, like if you were, if you needed to apprehend somebody, you could probably do it in a way where you wouldn't have to bash their skull or hurt them really bad. You could probably just, you know, detain them pretty easily. Right. And I think that if you're going to be a police officer, you should know how to do that type of thing. You should also be psych evaluated to see like, is this guy, somebody or girl, somebody that can handle the pressure of the job? Because it is one of the hardest jobs in the world, in my opinion. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like you should be able, you should have to test for it to say, is there something special about you? Do you have a special quality that we can benefit from? Do you have a fucking a weird ass quality that we don't want any, you know, were you the guy that was picked on in high school and you're it's getting this job just because you want some power because you're have home issues or whatever. And I think that's what a lot of the stuff is. But the other thing is like, instead of taking away all the money, the simplest answer is there need to be accountability. There's no immunity. You shoot somebody. I think everybody that kills somebody, whether you're a cop or not, should be brought up on murder charges. You should go to court. And then if you're if it's self defense, it's a real quick case. You know what I mean? And if it's not, then, hey, you fucked up and you murdered this person. You know what I mean? Not, oh, well, he's a cop, so it's all good. You have know? you actually seen, you, you kind of mentioned a little bit, have you actually seen police brutality in front of you? I haven't seen police brutality, per se, in front of me. When I was, I have a couple stories. When I was, I think, 14, I had a uh, paper route when I was a kid. And I would, 
I would have like this big giant sack on the front and on the back and I'd fill it up with papers and I had it like on once a week or whatever. I had a rat, uh, rollerblade around the neighborhood and throw papers on door. I remember going up to this one house in a cul-de-sac and I, as I was skating, there was this one house and on the back of the cul-de-sac where I actually had, to, it was an old, old person's house. So I had to go up on the driveway, go to the front door, drop it on the doorstep and then come back. Everyone else just got one thrown in their driveway. And as I was going up onto that, the driveway, there was a pickup truck and it was like this crank, like long scraggly haired looking dude. And he looked at me and we like our eyes met and it gave me like this weird ass, weird vibe, you know? And I go out and drop the paper and as I'm coming off the, skating back off the driveway, he like, I like see him again and he's like, oh, hey, and he yells at me. And I like freaked out and I started like skating away. And then I hear the truck like, like zoom up behind me. And uh, I went like full panic mode and I like ran through somebody's grass and went to their front door. And the guy pulls pulls the truck up and he's like, hey, I'm Chris, I'm your landscaper. Your mom sent me to come pick you up, come get in the car. And I was like, no, bro, you got the wrong guy. I was like, I live right here actually. And he's like, no, no, I know where you live. I'm Chris, I'm your landscaper. You gotta get in the car with me. Your mom wants me to come get you. And I was like, no, bro, you got the wrong guy. So I start banging on the door and I was like, mom, mom, you know, and the guy drives away. And I go home, call, I was like freaked out. I go to How my- How old were you? 14, Jesus, okay. right? 13, 14, something like that. I skate to my friend's house, which was on the way back to my house because I'm kind of freaked out right now. It's like every, is truck gonna come around the corner, you know? And I tell my friends about it and then we all like posse up and then go back to my house and call the cops, right? And the cops come, give a statement, whatever. Like two days later, I get the, I get called down to the principal's office from school, go down to the principal, and there's a, a cop there, Officer Maynard, by the way. He's like, oh, you know, we're going to take you to the police station. You're going to help us um, with our investigation or whatever. I'm like, cool. I'm like, Did you talk to my parents? Like, yeah, we called your mom. She said it was fine. As soon as we get to the police station, they, like, lock me in a room and throw the little notepad on the table. It's like, we know you're fucking lying, you piece of shit. You fucking tell us the truth. Blah, blah, blah. You went to your friend's house. What was really going on? And for like two hours, they interrogated me. And I'm only 14 years old. Tell me a piece of shit. Tell me all this stuff. We're going to file charges against your parents, you motherfucker. Like, just all in my shit. It's where I'm like almost in tears. And I'm like, you fucking assholes. Like, this really fucking happened. Fuck you. I want my parents. Call my fucking dad right now. Fuck you. And they take me back to the, the school or whatever. Turns out, like four months later, they catch the guy. His name is Chris. He is a landscaper or whatever. And he only got like six months probation or something because so what was he doing he was trying to pick up young kids he was, and- he was trying he did it to some other kid too and the same thing happened the kid got away and, and called the cops on him so because he never actually touched me or got me into the car it was only like child enticement and not child abduction so he only did like six months probation or some bullshit like that but that was like first scenario of like cops being fucking assholes. Right? What is the point? Like when you're a young kid like that and that happens, you lose. Like how can you trust them again? You can't. That's the that's the problem. Right. So then, a couple of years later, my sister, my older sister, she's like four years older than me. She was dating a guy whose mom was married, like remarried to a cop, and they were at like a Christmas party, and the cop, the guy, whatever the fuck his name was, who happened to be a cop, they got drunk and he like beat the shit out of her, like broke her nose, like beat the shit out of her. And my sister was there and witnessed it. And my sister is like very much like outspoken, like heal the world. I'm gonna get him, you know, kind of guy. So she like calls the police and files a report. She files a report at his police station. So she gets called in 
to give her statement. Same thing, lock her in the room, slap the drink out of her hand. You fucking bitch, we know you're making this shit up, motherfucker, all this crap. And the case gets thrown out of court. That was two times that happened. What was the third one? My brother got pulled over in LA probably like four years ago or something. I was driving my sister's car and I think she had expired tags or something. And like the cops kept calling him a paisa and like slammed him on the slammed him on the hood of the car and they arrested him for having like expired plates or some shit and like smashed the the cuffs on like just dickhead shit you know i think like yeah, that's like the, the the problem is is i think like what there's there's two sides of it there's like you you empathize with the person who's actually a good cop and gets into it for the right reasons and like right. risk their life all the time to do the right thing and i think that there's a, a high amount of police officers that are that person but then you get these these shitheads that get in there too and i think it all has to do with the way the system's set up and the way the vetting process set up mm-hmm. and so when you start saying things like defund where my head goes is one there's gonna be less protection it's probably gonna open the doors for worse people gonna be worse qualifications and you think about like if you're somebody that's thought about getting into that line of work your whole life and you're excited about it and now you see the world's hating on this profession and is looking at it like these are the shittiest people in the world like I think what it does is it takes the people that could potentially be the good candidates and the good people say, fuck this, I'm not going to go into that line of work. And it opens the floodgates for worse people. Exactly. And I don't think people are thinking about it in that way. So like, like, listen, police aren't going anywhere. Like they're going to, they have to exist in society, they exist in every society. But if we don't figure out a way to one, hold people accountable that shouldn't be police and two, create a system that entices the right people to, to go into that line of work, like we're going to be in a whole world of shit. Right. 100%. Okay, so here's another one. So my son, this is probably three years ago, so he was probably like first grade maybe. So my son comes home from school, and I'm like, what's up, Jack? How was school today? And he's like, oh, you know, this girl keeps bothering me. I'm like, oh, yeah, what'd she do? And he's like, we were standing in line, and she like, she like grabbed my wiener. And I was like, I don't think he said wiener. He said something else. I don't remember what he called it, <laughs> but it was something else. But he's like, grab, grab my dick, whatever. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, like, what do you mean? And he's like, he's like, she, I was standing in line. She like turned around. And she like grabbed it. And I was like, like, she was trying to hurt you or and he's like, yeah, it hurt. She's like, dad, she like grabbed it hard. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I told his mom, hey, you need to talk to the teacher at school. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going on here, but like, this isn't cool. Right. Imagine Joe showing up and you're the teacher at school. <laughs> <I'd be> like, <laughs> well, I almost did. So I almost did. So so she talks to the teacher and she tells the teacher what's going on. It's like, hey, not a huge deal, but like, could you say something? She's like, oh, I'm making a, a, a statement to the class about people keeping them hams to themselves or, or whatnot. I'm like, cool. No big deal. Whatever. So this was, you thought at the time it was little kids. Like just, yeah, they are little kids. Yeah, They're yeah. like little kids. I don't know. He's like first grade. You yeah. Know? How old are you? Like six or seven there? Yeah. Something. Little. Like, it's not like he has a huge dick to grab that hard, you know what i mean it's like whatever so she like tells him i was like oh we're gonna make a statement of class no problem then a couple of days later now i'm asking him like hey did you go to school i was cool you know did so and so nice thing he's like no she did it again and i'm like are you sure like what's going on here like what what happened he's like i don't know i'm standing in line she's always fucking with people and she like fucking grabbed me hard and i was like what did you do and he's like i just told her like ow stop and I'm like, fuck. As like a parent, which is kind of cool because it was like my first time as like a parent being in any type of situation like this. So it was kind of like you got to wrap your brain around it. You don't want to react emotionally or whatever. And so I'm like, all right, this is a problem because 
this is the first time my son's ever come to me in an uncomfortable situation talking about sexual whatever, right? It's like, I need to, this is a big deal. And then he came to me, we went to the teacher and she told us she was gonna take care of it. That's not being taken care of. And then these people are just watch my kids six hours a day, you know what I mean? So the mom went and talked to the, the, the teacher again, or I think the principal. And the principal, no, I went and I left a message. I went to talk to the principal and the principal wasn't there that day. And I left a note. I had the, I couldn't even write, I was mad. So I had the uh, assistant. Principal was probably hiding under the desk. Yeah, the <laughs> principal. He was there, he was like, the oh assistant, shit. The assistant principal, I expressed vocally my concern <laughs> for the situation. I'm sure they love that. And she said she would for sure have her call me back. So she calls me back and she leaves me a message and says, yeah, I read your thing. I, I understand what's going on. We're going to have a school resource officer come and talk to Jackson tomorrow. No fucking way. You're going to have. So this is what how this goes. Nowadays. What's a they, resource officer? Like a, fucking that... cops in schools is what they have now. Okay. These have They have cops in schools. So they call them resource officers, but they're dressed up like fucking cops with guns and badges or whatever. This kid's seven years old or whatever. And my son is already scared of the police. Now I know what everyone listening is going to think. Of course he's scared of police. All this guy talks about is police brutality, but that's not why he's scared. He's scared of police, and I don't talk about my kid in front of my kids, but he's scared of police because every, when you're six years old, every time you see on the news, anytime you see a cop on a TV show, they're always arresting you. You're always getting in trouble. There's never like good stories about cops anymore. There's any time on any TV show, it's like a bad cop or whatever. It's not the Winslows anymore, right? Yeah. Carl, and there's not... No Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, when I was a kid, like the police would drive by and they like wave for you, wave to you, give you candy and shit. And like now, it's like you ask a cop at at Chipotle for the time, and he's like, "Oh, he's like bad Santa. I'm on my fucking lunch break," you know. So I was like, I called her and I was like, "I'm not okay with you having a, a cop interview my six year old son about this little girl grabbing his dick." I was like, "That's not." I was like, "I'm I'm not okay with that." And she's like, "Well, we're gonna do it tomorrow." And I'm like, "So you're saying that?" Whether I give you permission or not, you're still going to talk to my son without without me being present. She's like, yeah. And I was like, hey, my son's not going to your school anymore. And I pulled the son out. I've come to find out, that little girl's dad is a cop. How does that go? The dad's going to feel embarrassment about what's going on with his daughter, so they're going to put it on my little half-black kid. You know what I mean? And it's going to be this big fucking ugly thing. Now, my son, the one time that he came to his dad about something that was bothering him about his balls I mean, some girl grabbing his balls. Now he gets in trouble and gets scared by the police that like, now he's never going to come to me and talk to me about anything like that again. Yeah, because and he doesn't, yeah. Where did she learn to do that? Exactly. Where did she learn to do that? But that would be another thing that would go back toward the family and be embarrassing toward this cop family. That is a gnarly, story. gnarly fucking story. Right. And that's how easily these people would put your kid in a situation or like the police having no accountability to like what they're doing. You know what I mean? Let's just, so I pulled him out of that school. He didn't go back. Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what the answer is. It's like, we've gotten to this place where I think like, well, I think this whole year to me and like this rant I did the other day about COVID and like, I think the whole thing is there cannot be exceptions to rules, 
right? Like if you're going if if we're gonna all live under one rule of law, that has to be the rule of law. It applies to everybody equally, right? Mm-hmm. If you're gonna if you're gonna put COVID mandates in place, then it has to be equal. Everybody has to follow. If not, then like it can't exist. And I think this we've gotten to this place in in the world where like there's exceptions to the rule based on who you are, where you're from, what you do, like who you're connected to. People of power. Yeah, right? and it's and and that like that breaks the whole system. So like I think we can all agree. Like if like one thing I said the other day about COVID, like sure lockdowns could have worked if we all followed and the whole country followed. But the fact is, is like we didn't. And to bitch and moan and cry about what some people did and some people didn't is a waste of time because like the strategy did not work. And it's probably because we're set up in a free country where people have choice to do what they want. So to sit here and posture and say, okay, we're going to keep things closed. Some things are essential. Some are not. Some people can, some people can go in. Some people can't. Some like riots are okay, but going to the beach is not like that. It doesn't work. And it's just a common sense thing. It's not a political thing. Same well, thing with police. Well, like Gavin, Gavin Newsom's kids, like my kids aren't allowed to go to school right now. So my kids aren't allowed to have, to see their friends, to, to interact, to have like a normal fucking uh, life experiences right now. Which because, is the whole thing nobody's talking about with yeah. how it's affecting children. Bro, dude, it's so bad. It's so bad. Like all summer, my, my kids weren't allowed to play with his friends, weren't, wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And then he goes back to school and he's, it's in a, on a screen and there's like 30 kids in the, in the screen. You don't get to like talk to them back and forth. Like the interaction, falling down, hurting your knee, meeting a girl, getting your heart broke, all of that shit not happening this year. You know? Then you think about this. Gavin Newsom, his kids are at a private school. They're going to school right now. His winery, open. My gym, closed, but his winery, open. You know, and these are the people that are creating this because there's no accountability and they can just do whatever they want. And it's based off of no science, right? You're saying that the lockdown didn't work. Well, there's like uh, 77 NFL players, false positives, and they're like basing it off these like the numbers. Well, we have all these new cases. Yeah, but the deaths are going down. Oh, but we're having all these new cases, but you're having all these bad, these bad tests, you know? It's just, it's become like so first it was like very shocking to me like oh my god we're in like a lockdown scenario like it was scary to everybody it's a pandemic what the hell and then the more you pay attention the more like wait this is two plus two is not three you know all of the like that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense that doesn't make sense and then it's like more things on us they open your stuff up and then you close your you know what's really sad about it think of how many people's parents or relatives have died in hospitals not from COVID-19 or maybe with COVID-19 and none of their their family was able to go see them they like died alone like my grandparents both my all my grandparents passed away and every time one of my grandparents was in the hospital go in one of us was there with them to make sure these nurses were being nice to them one of us was there with them to make them feel better if they're religious we brought in a, a a priest to make them feel better before they go off into the afterlife or whatever how many people didn't get any of that stuff and were just alone and scared in a hospital and died because of a, a cold? It's also heartbreaking to be pregnant right now because like part of being pregnant is you bring your significant other in and you get to watch the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And then when you have the baby, you obviously want your friends and family to come see. I can't even imagine having a baby and you can't even have anyone in the hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many layers. Even one of my girlfriends is kids is going to school so it's in san diego and she's going to school and she said that this school separates all 30 of the kids they they make the kids social distance six feet from everyone you cannot talk to anyone you cannot touch anyone during lunch you have to sit 
completely away from each other on different sides of the playground. Her son came home. He's like eight years old, bawling, crying. He says he has to sit and eat his lunch in a little tiny cubby by himself. It's It's really, it's 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 a lot of ramifications. It's awful. And then if we're going off of like any sort of common sense, since the only thing that has not changed since day one is that no children have been at risk of this at at all whatsoever and we're taking away their their school their ability to like develop their like basic development we're taking away yeah our pediatrician was like basically because obviously we have a young kid and we're mm-hmm. like trying to figure out in the beginning like hey how scary is this for the child and he's like listen it's not even a rounding error of how little this affects children of a certain age and so we're like okay and then even for people like us like and then here's the argument Oh, you guys are young. You don't give a fuck about other people. You're going to get them sick and they're going to... Like, that's the argument. But my whole thing is like, okay, so you want to you want to stop the entire world to protect people that are already at risk. I understand the sentiment, but it doesn't work because it the strategies don't actually apply to real life. Like it does... It, 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 you can't... Like there's people still... Like what's the difference of going to a grocery store or going to an office? Like we're all in there. We're all touching the same thing. We we're on a plane the other day. Here's a good example. And listen, these planes, they don't give a fuck. They're packing these things to yeah. the brim because they yeah. need to make that revenue. And there was 300 people on the plane. We got on this plane, just a commercial flight. No problem with commercial flight. On, wearing the mask the whole time. We're also going to go, okay, wear the mask the whole time. Sit next to all these people. You can take it off, though, to eat or drink. So I'm like, what? okay, fine. So if I'm just, you just sit there and eat or drink the whole time, it's off. And then when you get off the plane, they're yelling at you. They're like, social distance. I'm like, we've been on the fucking plane together for the last three hours, sitting next to each other, elbow to elbow. What is the di- what's the difference now? Or what about this one? It's like a you, South Park you episode. Have to wear, you have to wear a mask when you stand up in a restaurant. Okay, fine. No problem. When you walk into the restaurant. When you walk into the restaurant and when you get up to go to the bathroom. But you sit down. You get handed the menu by the hostess. The hostess leaves. Then you get the bread basket from the busser. And then you get your drink order and the bartender takes the ice, puts it in, puts the garnish, hands it to the waiter. The waiter comes, drops it off, takes your food order that he gets from the chef. There's a bunch of chefs, you know, in the kitchen. Then the expediter comes out and drops your food. It, it, you're, like you said, it's not add, it doesn't add up. That doesn't make sense. You're you're in so much interaction with everyone, but then you have to wear a mask. I think people live in a make-believe world where they think the virus chooses to go to certain places and chooses not to. I'm like, bro, it doesn't it doesn't give a shit. It's a virus. It goes anywhere. Do you know how many people die, Michael, a year of diarrhea in this country? <laughs> no, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. How many? 1.4 million. Of diarrhea. Diarrhea. I, didn't, I missed that pandemic. 1.4 million. We better all start, you know. Taylor, you better be careful. Diarrhea. <laughs> Taylor, if diarrhea. Taylor's a, he's at risk for diarrhea. He's got that yeah. guy. I, I just think that Well, these... it's not a funny thing, but this is what I can't stand is like, and there's a million other stats like that that I'm sure you can find. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I think the CDC just released that like of all the deaths they've reported, and listen, it's the CDC who whatever, but they reported that they could only actually attribute 9,000 deaths to solely COVID deaths, right? Mm-hmm. And so- you're starting to think, I'm like, listen, we have a population of what, 300 plus million people? How many of the, like, I, people are going to get mad. They, here's the thing there's a quote, and I can't remember it, I posted, but like, people want to believe things mm-hmm. and they want to attach themselves to causes and they want to believe a media narrative. And I've said from the beginning, and listen, I've actually had media people write in and said, I like that I'm a dick for saying this, but like, I think the media has done a terrible service to the, the, the mainstream 100%. media has done a terrible service to this 100%. country. This year, freaking people out, scaring people. 
there's been no narrative on how to boost your immune system and how to actually guard yourself against something like this. It's all been about hiding. Oh, you're fucked. Shut down. Like it's, it just spread fear. Fear, and anger. fear, fear. People forget these are huge businesses. They're selling shit like that. I'm sorry. It's true. Hundred percent. And there's not. That doesn't mean there's bad. That all journalists are bad. It just means like these are massive enterprises that are trying to get ratings. Right. Exactly. Like if they were a, if they were a writer for any other talk, any other show, any any series, their their job would make a thirty minute segment that was exciting and fucking whatever. Right. And that's what they're doing in the news. And they don't even care about what they said the day before. You know, it, it's bullshit. But no, no real pandemic needs to. Why are they incentivizing hospitals $13,000 to have a case? Of course, you're going to have people saying that they have cases when they, you know, false positives or, or whatever, assuming it's a case. $36,000 if somebody dies of COVID. So then you get all these people that like died of a car accident. Oh, but they had COVID. We know this guy that his brother went to get a test and waited in line, waited in line, waited in line, and said, fuck it, I'm not going to do this and left. He opened the mail two mm -hmm. weeks later and got a positive test and mm -hmm. he never took the test. Mm hmm. What's incredible to me is mm -hmm. I posted this rant the other day and it's on my Instagram highlights. So like I, and I never leave a highlight. It's the only highlight I have. And where the fuck is my highlight? The reason I put it up there is because there's no baby highlight. Yeah. What? There's no yeah, birth year there's child. No, there's, there's, right. there's no highlight. You and your rant. Yeah. There's, but the, the interesting thing. It was a good thing, rant. <laughs> it was a good rant. The interesting thing to me was I figured, okay, this is going to split like the audience there, like that I have there. It's a limited audience, but it's going to split and people, some are going to be really angry and some are going to be happy. I'm not just making this up and I don't have any dog in the fight. Like, overwhelmingly and the most messages I've actually ever got to my social channel of people quietly saying like, thank you for saying something. I'm oh, yeah. so scared to say something like people are attacking. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Like why would people be scared to voice how they actually think? It's because you get these social justice warriors that go in and attack them if they go against the mainstream grain. It's like, yes, we all care about lives, but what people are not factoring in is like, COVID lives are not the only lives affected by right. this pandemic and this shutdown. Nobody's factoring in what's going on with addicts, what's going on with children, what's going on with people that are losing their jobs. Nobody's questioning the emotional instability that's happening across this country, the negative headspace that everybody's in. Nobody's questioning saying like, hey, there's somebody that worked their whole life here and you're going to stress them out so bad now. By like, you, you could be following every single fucking rule that people have put in place and still be completely fucked because other people aren't following. And that's my problem. I'm like, those people should have a voice to speak on and say, hey, this is, you know, like, if I want to take a chance, I got to take a chance. Like that's, that's just how it is. Or like the people that have spent their whole life building a business from scratch, you know? And then you get you get shut down, shut down. I mean, if, I, if my business was $7,000 a month rent and I didn't pay it and didn't have any money coming in and I still had to pay that lease, oh, we're going to, you, you don't have to pay the lease or your rent until, until after the thing opens up. But now you still owe eight months or was it seven months we're in right now? Yeah. How many mom and pop or small time restaurants or even big big companies are going out of business while the billionaires make all the money? Well, you know what's funny is like this business here, like if I was being a selfish prick, like we've actually got a benefit, right? Like podcasting gets a benefit. We don't need to be in the office. I can run a remote. Like mm -hmm. it's it's benefited from people jumping out of radio and from satellite and like coming into this medium. It's benefited from movie production shutting down and video production. Like this, we I actually directly benefit from a shutdown, but I hate it for the country and I hate it for other people because it's hurting the majority of people. Like someone wrote into me the other day that I would never even think about the wedding industry, for example. There's a shitload of people that work in the wedding industry. You don't think about this. That's two years of business destroyed because they shut down everything. Yep. They got to move everything. What do those people do? I could just find a new career. Like so it was like, oh, they got to pivot and evolve. Yeah, if it was a, like if if the thing is, this is a man-made 
like you know people like oh the, we're in a recession the economy's down the jobs like you know, unemployment's like of course because people the government is stepping in and forcing people and mandating people to shut down which they should not have the power to do well so many people just only take the mainstream media's information and they don't look at anything else and if you look at anything else you're a conspiracy theorist but there's shit tons of information all over all over the place outside of cnn msnbc right but like wuhan which is where it all started is having like massive pool parties and they're back to normal like how how is this how is that even possible and then a lot of these people that are all on the like no we should stay home and we should do all this shit they're making more money on unemployment than they made their whole lives at their regular regular jobs if they have regular jobs so they're of course promoting this and they want to keep going and you're an asshole and, and you're whatever but it's like there's so much in incentivization toward this shit going on between the, the media with unemployment I have a buddy in in ohio that has a, a sports bar and a lot of his employees won't come back to work because they're making $600 a week more on unemployment. Un on unemployment. But I figured like it would be a split audience. I figured people would be like, you know, fuck this guy saying this and other people would be excited. But I'm telling you, it was overwhelmingly people that are scared to say something being like, thank you for right. saying something. I wish more people would talk. And I, one thing that I think we can all agree on is when this first happened, you have kids, obviously you're, yeah. you know, you're a compassionate person. When this first happened and we all didn't know what was going on. Everybody was scared. Everyone's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, is this an, is this going to wipe us out? Like all of us were on board to say, okay, let's flatten the curve. Let's take a strategy. Let's band together and make sure that like we can get through this. Everybody was like on board for that. But then like it, it, it got away from that narrative. It got away from, Hey, let's learn how to combat this to, Hey, this is the new norm that we're just going to accept. And that's something that I'm just not willing to accept. I'm not willing to just say, okay, well, just because, you know, like I'm not willing to just change, especially if the facts aren't lining up. Like I wish the media and the people in power just said, okay, we thought it was one thing. Maybe it wasn't as bad. What do they predict? Three million deaths or something or millions of few million Some deaths. Bullshit. We didn't. We, so if you look at it from that lens, we've actually did very well if we didn't get anywhere close to what these people thought we were going to be at. And I wish they would have said, okay, like we thought it was X turned out. It's not. Maybe it's not nearly as bad as we thought it was. Still bad. Still take precautions. If, if you want to wear the mask, wear the mask. If you want to distance, distance. If you feel like you need to shut your business down, shut it down. If you feel like you need to hide, hide. But, but at the same time, like, hey, it actually wasn't as bad as we thought. And here's some health precautions that you can take to boost your immune system so that you can combat it if you get it. Because it's also not going anywhere anytime soon. And we may not have a vaccine that's applicable for X amount of years. Yeah, Nobody's doing that, though. It's I, fucking crazy. And then you say stuff like you know the the people in charge but like i don't feel like it's our government in charge i feel like it's like the media is in charge and mark zuckerberg is like telling stories and and fucking bill gates and the who whoever they are who are, are not our government but they're part of this government that they're all pushing this shit well while our president is saying like is not on board with this whole thing it's just very very weird what's going on and then the election's coming up and like we have we have like no choices here. We have we have Trump, which everybody hates Trump, and then we have a guy who's literally like asleep, like literally like it's, the cognitive decline is ridiculous. Here, oh, here we're gonna get into some territory this, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I it's it's a little bit disheartening that these are the two guys that we came up with for the entire country. Come on, yeah, it's, come on. It's a little bit. <laughs> It's a little strange, and, I, what, and then, I, what I really hate about it is you got to kind of pick a side, and it's like, I wouldn't want to be on either side. Right. With either of them. Right. And that's like, that's the, you know what I think? I actually think that this is the, this, and it may not be quick, maybe in the next 10, 20, 30 years, but the same thing with mainstream media. I think that 
over the next 10, 15, 20 years, you will see the destruction of the Republican and Democratic Party. I think that I think it, they will both be dismantled because I think people are getting fed up. Like, for example, you could be very socially liberal and say, like, I want the government completely out of marriage and choice and, and all these things. You're like, don't touch that. But you could also say, hey, I also don't want to maybe pay like massive amounts of taxes. The problem is with the way the parties are set up, there's no room to say, okay, like I can have that perspective. It's like you got to pick one which is extreme or the other which is extreme. And I just don't think people are going to be willing to tolerate that moving forward in the future, especially young people like that. You know, there's so many like of these systems that are not set up for a modern world. Mm -hmm. And so emotionally based, like I don't think politics have ever been so emotionally based before as what is going on now. Right. Like the whole Black Lives Matter things. And if you don't if you don't agree with this, then you're a hardcore racist or if you like this person, you're an absolute racist. And then it's like they just compound that with a whole bunch of other shit. It's, it's really crazy times right now. 2020 you, is not <laughs> fucking around. It's been a ride. You know? You talk out a lot and you take a stance on social media, which I appreciate. Thanks. What do you do with backlash? When people come at you, do you write back? Do you block them? Do you ignore it? Like, what's your vibe there? Um, Sometimes. Most of the time I'll get people that are like, I'll put up like the new CDC, whatever, says that they fucked up. And like people will respond back with, no, this is this is because you don't know how to read and blah, 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 blah. And most of the time I just block them because I've gotten to a point now where it's like if you're not on my side or you're not like you shouldn't even be following me. You know what I mean? Like I'm not I'm not going to go back and forth with you. I don't have time to start like a, a back and forth argument with you. It's like, OK, you believe what you want. It's cool. You started to send me a shitty message. So fuck you. You know, no one is forcing anyone to follow anyone. It's a choice that I feel like people need yeah. to take accountability if they choose to follow someone. Right. I I completely agree. It's like if someone doesn't like what I'm doing, all you have to do is press unfollow. Yeah. And the other thing is like they have like this, which I guess started with like the whole like thing. You know, they were talking about how social media is really bad for like kids and stuff because they get so like triggered or like obsessed with the like and the encouragement and the whatever, which I kind of get that. But now they feel like, because you followed me, I owe you something, right? And it's like, well, I'm going to unfollow you. I'm like, fucking unfollow me. I didn't ask any of you to follow me. I'm just doing shit, and you guys like it or don't like it. You know what I mean? My favorite thing is when people come and say, like, I'm triggered by this. Like, I'm triggered. You said something that triggered me. I You posted something that triggered me. You, like, all of the, I'm like, Oh, that's a you fucking problem. Yeah. Like, imagine, like, I don't go to your, I don't go into your life and be like, you said something. Like, what do you mean? Like, if that? I feel triggered by something, because we all have felt triggered by things, I examine why I feel triggered instead of blaming someone else. I examine why is that bothering me? What, what, what is in me? What experience did I have that's making me feel like this? Well, the question is, is like, if somebody's making you feel bad, or if you like, say you listen to this show and it's like, hey, this makes me feel bad, like, turn it the fuck off. Like, honestly, right now, if you're listening and you're pissed, turn it off. Like, go, there's, I think the last I checked, there was 1.4 million podcasts in existence. I'm sure there's really? something, there's something for everybody out there. For sure. But like, if you're coming to somebody's page or podcast or you, whatever the hell you're going to, it's because you're finding some enjoyment there or you're wanting to learn. And if you're not, then like, what are you doing? There's a lot of other options. If you're on Instagram, I know you guys know this, but to the world, if you're on Instagram, that feed that you have, you created it. <laughs> like you're creating that. Like I want to see basketball. I want to see fighting. I want to see big booty black chicks. I want to, you know, whatever it is. If you created this thing that you don't want anymore, just get rid of it. But a lot of people now, they, 
especially now with the mental mental health stuff with all the stuff going on is people need to be heard people want to get their opinion out there so they'll follow people that they know they don't like their opinion just so they can write negative stupid shitty shit and it's like if you're not mature enough to unfollow me when you don't like it i'm just gonna block you so you don't i'm gonna i'm gonna be the bigger person for you like you don't need to see this yeah but then most of them go create a troll account and come back anyway they do. <laughs> but like you know my like, block list is fucking astronomical no, you know my favorite oh, you know so my long. favorite thing yeah, to blocking do blocking is my new thing lately too if you're an asshole like there's no one like forcing you to be on the page i got a tip for both of you have you guys ever heard of the restrict function no what's that you ever heard of restrict? Okay, so oh yeah, I think I have. But go ahead. I don't block anybody anymore. I restrict them. Now, now people that are, are gonna like be like, "What the hell does that mean?" Maybe I'm restricted. So restricting means that they can still follow you and they can still see everything you're doing and they can still comment, but nobody else can see their comments or their engagement but you. And so what I I get a <laughs> I get a silent little laugh knowing that like someone's restricted and they think they're making a point it doesn't bother me because I just ignore it. But nobody else can see and engage with them. So it's like you're talking just, into a vortex in a funnel for nobody. So they write a paragraph just and nobody can see like, it. Oh, and they're so pumped and they're like just checking it throughout the day. Like anybody like it yet? Yeah. Nobody likes it. Nobody can see no, it. Nobody can, no nobody can see it but me and them. And like you have to click a function that says unrestrict. I think it's one of the best functions that Instagram because what I do is like if someone's a troll. I want them to waste more of their time on their wasting time. And you want the follower. And I want the follower. You I still want the follower. I, I got to get that. I don't want to lose that one. Okay. You know, well, listen, we got to run a business here. Right. But no, I just think that's that's funny because I, I look about it and kind of like have a silent laugh to myself. I'm like, this person is sitting here wasting so much time. It's not bothering me at all. It's just, you know, I'm going to just continue doing what I'm doing. But nobody can see it. And they're just out there. It's like watching the media. Like you're either... Like a Fox person or a CNN person, we're all kind of, I think, in that thing now. And it's like, how dumb would it be for me to watch one of those networks that I don't agree with and just sit at home and fucking, like, motherfucker, fuck, 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 and then go back to the other one and be like, oh, yeah, this is so much better. Just don't watch that one. But the problem is, is that you're only getting your information from that one. But that's what people are doing when they're creating their feed like that, you know? I just feel like, and I've said this a lot, I just choose to consume like five people's content. That's it. Because, or else it becomes too overwhelming. And it has to be people that are bringing good energy. Like, I just, I just don't do it. And if you're trolling and you're writing shit on people's Instagram, I feel like that's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. But that's what, I mean, that's why I appreciate and liked what you did. Like, cause, listen, I'm somebody that would probably be in the camp of that. I, and I, we just talked about on the show that I think like we need to have responsible police precincts and refunding and like open the doors for good cops to come in. You're like, okay, there's obviously things that you need to be aware of here for people like that, you know, should not be in positions of power. And like, that's a good thing to get a conversation started. But like, I'm not going there and getting triggered and then like going and, and, and like losing my mind. I'm saying, okay, this is good for me to be aware of, to have a civil discourse and conversation like this. But I think some, like we've gone to a place where people don't want to have conversations anymore. They're like, it has to be one way or the other. And so they're trying emotional. to solve gray area problems with black and white solutions. Like they either got to be black or white and then not obviously race, but like it's either got to be this solution or that. And it's a blanket solution that applies to everything. I'm like, these are complex problems that apply, that, that need very heavy conversation and thought behind it just can't be like we either do this or that it's it, it, it does it's not how the world works it's like you do this or that but with that comes these other like i'm republican but if i'm republican i don't like abortion and this and that and whatever like you you choose one side and you fight for it emotionally even though half the shit on that side you don't agree with instead of going down the line with what you want or you're making a logical decision about who you want you know what i mean they 
He's tackling all this other shit. Well, you can talk. We can talk about like the homeless, for example. For example, and so if COVID nineteen is real, and we all have to shower and, and bathe in and poison, which is what sanitizer is that we're shoving on our hands all day long. It's poison. We have to do that, or we're going to get sick and die. Yet the homeless population is out of fucking control since this whole thing. The only thing that's thriving during this whole uh, pandemic is the billionaires are becoming trillionaires, and the homeless are quadruplifying. Well, like, you'll think about some of the policies that they've done here in California. You know, obviously the, the homeless problem is a, is a big problem here in California. And, and we're compassionate, empathetic people that obviously you want to help as many people as you can. But so what California does say, okay, like there's a drug problem here in San Francisco. Let's create a policy that makes it so that we're not going to prosecute drugs. We're going to create a system where homeless can throw away their needles. In LA, they're going to put a policy in place that says, hey, if they're putting tents or things outside of businesses or houses, it's considered personal property. You can't remove it. And, and the intention there is to be good, right? Like, I don't think that was a bad, I don't think people would put those policies in place to to be bad people. I think the intention's right. But then they don't understand what the ramifications are. It's more drug use, more homeless problem, more more people being put in danger by having, you know, like, for example, I have a friend has a nice, you know, middle-class neighborhood, front yard, and there's a bunch of homeless tents set up in front of his front yard. His little his girl was out and playing in the front yard the other day and there's a homeless guy taking a shit in the planter right in front. Called the cops, cops say, I can't remove him. The guy's like, well, I'm going to fucking remove him. Cops says, okay, just do it when we're not looking. It's like this, you know, these good intentions are, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think like we are seeing ramifications and it's because people try to take complex issues and solve them with this or that, you know, one or the other solve. And it doesn't work. These are complex issues. So what's the move there? Does your friend remove him himself? Does he beat him up? Does he drag his tent down the street like what does he do well that's that's the question right if the police can't help you there but hypothetically what do you think he does what do i think he does if if it was me i would i would we know he would not be there right so i don't think he'd go to your house i mean any in any way whether it was physical or not like his shit and him it wouldn't be in front of my house where my kids are but now am i a a a racist or am i a a bad person am i because i'm going against the the bullshit rule that they made or whatever. You know what I mean? Like at what point can citizens stand up for what, when the government's not doing that for them correctly? Yes. I mean, that's the whole reason government should be in place. And I think like, you know, we probably agree. Like I don't want the government in all my business, but at the same time, we want basic protections where if like, I don't know the exact solution, but I can tell you that if I had a front yard for a house that I worked really hard for, and my daughter was playing there and there was a homeless person taking a shit in a planner in front of her with a tent there, like, I'm not going to allow that. If the police aren't going to help me, then no, it's not like, okay, well, I guess like he gets to live there and shit there and she gets to play. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, I'm going to do something my own. And like, this is where, this is where the country's going. This is what's right. going to happen. And there's going to be certain people that are like, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. So, so if there's riots, protests turned into riots, turns into destroying people's property and the police aren't going to stop it, then citizens do. But now citizens stand up and they start protecting it themselves. This is that pivotal point now. This is the media problem. This shit happens. Like now you're, now you're, you're separating like who's the good and who's the bad here. Yeah. Like if you, I think anybody that's listening, if, if, if I said hypothetically you were sitting in your house and somebody showed up at your house and started throwing shit through your window and trying to burn your property or whatever, like, and and you knew that nobody was coming to help you. There's nobody you can call, nobody to help you. Do you A, run away and leave it and let it go? Or do you B, stand up for yourself? I think it depends the type of person you are. But 
you can't be expected to just do nothing. And if you do, and imagine then you do something to defend yourself. And then the next day people are like, this person is X, Y, Z. He's against X, Y, Z. He hates this. It's like, no, it's like, there's, there's obviously people within that, that don't fall into that category. But I think the majority of people like would identify with that message. Like I wouldn't tolerate that. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't let that happen to my house or my business or my children, whatever. Like it's, you know, like we're human beings at the end of the day. I also feel like we're getting to a place where everyone is so sensitive about everything. And it's like, what's that game when we were little with the lights everywhere where we had to like step over the lights and go under the lights and like, like laser tag or something like you, you don't know where to sort of go because you're worried that people are going to just freak out. I mean, I know as an influencer, like you, you, we have to be very, very careful with what we say. Well, I think what's happened here with cancel culture personally for me is that we've gone so like if everything is cancelable every action every like everyone's tiptoeing around what to say not say you say the wrong thing you're if we've gone that far like i was going to do an episode called the little cancelers that cried wolf and what happens is with someone in my position is like i think about it now and i'm like if every single time somebody says something that's that other people don't agree with and they go and attack and say cancel what happens is i become numb to it so now i don't know what to pay attention to anymore now i actually don't know what's a cancelable offense and what's not sure there's extreme examples but like i think we've all gotten to the point where we're desensitized to it so the things we actually should be paying attention and saying hey that's not okay we're all ignoring because everybody's in a in a rut about everything Mm -hmm. that's my my fear with the whole cancel, all the stuff that's going on right now. So if you if you just go into this, man, there's so many topics I could go with this <laughs> and I don't even want to go to. But like, if you just start canceling everything and you just go off, oh, well, that offends them, get rid of it. Oh, it offends them, get rid of it. Oh, they, they need three bathrooms now in, in my kid's school. You know, oh, now they need three bathrooms or whatever. And six months, a year, three years from now, we're all going to like wake up and be like, what the fuck happened to America? Well, like, I think where the fuck are we? I think it's we? happening. I think yeah. people are like, this is getting out of, like, not everything can be a cancelable offense. I mean, in 2020, like, I don't remember the last, I mean, maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I don't remember people being so offended and need and this, this offensive shit being so important. Like, when... I'm pretty sure when I was a kid or when my parents were kids, if you were offended, it was like, get the fuck over it. Like, move on. Don't talk to that person, whatever. But now it's like, I'm offended. This needs to go. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then it's, na- it's just uh, tattletaling and name calling and like little kid shit is now like huge in this Imagine country. if it's everyone that massive. was offended took the energy and put it towards something productive. Anything. Well, think about you know? the places in the world that are like, you know, hard hard places to live where you don't have basic resources or protection you you know you know there's there's certain places in the country where like you know people are starving to death you know people Mm -hmm. are you know you know they have nothing and imagine if you sit here and they're like okay what are your problems like somebody said something mean to me on the internet and i'm mad about it and i'm triggered they look at you like get the fuck over it man like grow up right and then our media does it our news channel does it. Like, can you believe so and so said this? And like, aren't you offended too? Let's do a two-hour segment on how we're all fucking it's upset about it. It's just insane. It's fucking insane. It's a lot of manipulation too. Lots going on. Yep. So with fighting, now switching gears. Oh, we're going back. Yeah, we're going to fighting. Yeah. What is your plan? Do you want to do product? Is it to own a bunch of gyms? Like, are you going to continue to keep fighting? What's your overall plan? I own a gym now. It's going well. I probably open a couple more, maybe. I'm gonna keep fighting until, till the wheels fall off. Yeah, until the wheels fall off. How long do you think? Like, how long can you actually do it? Depends on if I keep winning. 
you know i think i think it'll show you know but i think i could probably get another like four or five years maybe more depends and maybe move out of la i'm definitely looking to move out of la for sure i think a lot of people are did yeah. it, did covid trigger that not so much covid but i think covid made all of us start to wake up and pay attention i don't think anyone's paid more attention to politics this year like more so than we have this this year i just started seeing that like not just presidential elections but like on every the local levels. all the local <laughs> levels the governors the sheriffs the you know all these other people do a lot of shit and we're not paying attention to it but i started thinking about why do i live in california because if you're not in california it is insanely expensive here for for rent for property for taxes for parking for i mean every our car our uh, car registration like everything is just insanely expensive here and throughout covid i just started paying attention like why do i live here what what That's am i exactly the question i started asking what myself. am i getting out of this it's the cool place to be. That's exactly the answer that is I came it? up. And I go, whoa, that's my ego. Right. And then he started thinking, like, what's cool about it? Well, it's sure not cool right now. There's no clubs. There's no life. There's no... Hollywood's really fucked up right now. They got a lot of shit going on. And then everything shut down. And then it's like, but my rent's still the same. And my school district's still the same. And my property tax is still the same. And my... It's like... There's a lot of people that are really happy in other states, and I feel like I don't see the the attraction so much anymore. It used no. to be about the water, like, oh, it was the beach. But when I moved out here from Ohio when I was 19, I was like, oh, I'm going to be at the beach every day. I can't wait. I'm fucking just surfing. And then I got to Venice Beach, and I saw how dirty it was and how freezing cold the water was. And, like, I don't really ever go to the beach here. When I go to Mexico or I'm on vacation, I'm, like, beach every day. I love it here. But, like, California beach is not – it's not – it's not all that for me. And like you said, like you get such a small piece of property for it's so much right. money when right. you could be living more peacefully with a bigger place somewhere else. And then the, there's just so much more regulations that we we deal with here, and like firearms to like pollution, cars. Like I'm big into like cars and building like a kind of a race car type thing. Yeah, like we there's parts you can't order here. There's like there's guns you can't buy here. There's just all kinds of shit here and it's like what what can I do here? And I'm not please tell me what can I do. Well, here? It would be one thing if the state was thriving and it was like an example right. of, you know, a stellar economy, but mm -hmm. the state's fucking broke as hell. I mean, we just went through this heat wave. The power's out. People are starting to say, oh, like you know, god, here I'm going to get attacked again that it's climate control, global warming, all this stuff. I'm like or maybe it's just the way that the system's set up and maybe it's these windmills and maybe we should look at other alternatives. I don't know, but like, you know, we're in one of the biggest economies in the country and like the power's out and there's fires everywhere. Like those are complex issues once again, but you can't just say, oh, global warming, that's why. They, they, they can't be the only reason. Well then- Maybe it's some of the policies. Then they have this $600 uh, EDD or whatever for people that are in pandemic, whatever, unemployment, right? And the first $600 runs out and they try to do extend it for another one and California's like, oh no, 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 we can't afford that. We can't afford to pay the six hundred. And the president's like, okay, well about four hundred. Like, no, 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 we can't afford it. And like, how the fuck can you guys not afford it when we pay so much more in taxes, so much more in and parking tickets and bullshit and all this stuff? It's like what what are you guys spending your money on? And they're gonna hike taxes again. Yeah, for sure. And then and I heard that Newsom's trying to do like a move out tax. Did you hear about this shit? That if you move out of... I don't think they'll be able to pass if that, If you though. move out of California, that they will still tax you California 
from California for the next like 10 years, some astronomical thing. And even if they can't make that- Maybe they should think about incentivizing people to stay. Right, and even if they can't make that work, what kind of motherfucker would even try to attempt to make that work? Like who would try to get that bill passed? And it's like, these are not the people I wanna be in charge of what I'm doing. And if I'm picking teams, Texans seem to like have their shit together, you know? But here's the thing. They got property, they got guns, they got money, you know, fucking having a good time. Austin's beautiful. I heard I mean, great weather. It's just been like a complete shit show. And like what what I hate about it is like it again, this is the, my biggest problem and it's why I don't typically get political on these shows. It's like it's either one side or the other. And I hate that narrative. It's like why can't we just have a conversation about what's going on with our power? Okay, what's going on with our police precincts? What's going on with the way we're taxed? What's going on with the home? Like they can't there's no conversation and isolated issues. It's like, well, you're either one way or the other. And it's like, that's not how the world works. Like there's no, like if I just said in, in my personal relationship with Lauren, like Lauren, I'm either this way or not. Like she'd be like, no, you're going to have to figure out how to meet in the middle. Like that's everything in business in relationships, parenting, you got to figure out, you got to weigh both sides. You got to have a logical conversation. You got to take each thing issue by issue and go through it in a logical way. But when it comes to things that become politicized, it's either you're on this side or that side. And if you're not on this side, you're a bad guy. If you're on this side, you're a good guy. It's like, it's not how the world works. Or you shouldn't have an opinion at all. You should just give it to them and let them make the decision for you. Yeah, right? that's. I think it's good to, to get on a mic and question the status quo. For like, sure. I think you should be asking questions all day long. My favorite thing is when people are like, what do you think? And then you say what you think and they're like, well, now I fucking hate you because it's like, well, you, why do you care what I think then? Like, right. you either want me to stay neutral, you want me to say something, but if I question anything that you disagree with, now I'm a bad guy. Like, there used to be a, there, there was a time in this world where you could have a conversation to opposing. Like, there's so many people that come on this show. I'm like, hey, I don't agree with that, but I want to have a conversation and see, like, why do they think that way? Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I can understand their perspective better. Maybe they've had a different experience and that's the way they came to their thoughts. Like, that's that's how human beings work. You know, it can't just be like, hey, you're either this or that, and if you're not this, then I hate you. And I'm not always right. I'm just very easy to change my mind. And I'm like, oh, shit, yeah, Michael was right. I was wrong. But no one else can do that these days. You know what I mean? Like, that's unimaginable because they're so emotionally invested and triggered in the topic or what they think. And that's a lot of the shit going on now is, like, a lot of people are are breaking up. A lot of relationships are getting, like, destroyed during this COVID thing because I think a lot of people are going through their own mental issues of dealing with all this shit and then your partner is going through her or his mental issue but you're so focused on your own crap that's going on before you know it you're assuming that they think this or or whatever it's like a lot of i've probably four or five students where like completely split also to just be in a in a space with someone so i think a lot of people are realizing they don't even like the person that they're with right because they they weren't forced to be in the space and now they are what are you trying to say well they like sometimes you're annoying they liked certain parts of it and that was what they got out of their relationship with them because they had this whole other aspect of their life that they were able to conduct and do and then you take all of that stuff out and then like i mean obviously i'm like a fitness industry person but like mental health and like working out and getting that that relief or that getting that stress out or whatever and nobody's able to do that no gyms are open nobody's eating healthy nobody's doing any of that they're sitting at home getting wasted unhappy miserable next to their partner it's by far the most and i've only been alive here for 30 plus years but it's by far the most 
negative I've ever felt the world. Like it's like sure. there is so much negativity out there where people are just had enough and they don't. And, and that's also contributing. We're now we're in an election year and all these things, and we're locked in the house and there's a virus. Like this, if this, if there was an Armageddon, like this is how it starts. It, she, pe- For like, sure. People just hate each other. They're so angry. They're so sad. They're so upset. They're like they're scared. And I think like that's why I've been so outspoken about this lockdown. I'm like, listen, let people take a risk if they want to or not. Let them get back to normal life. Let's see if that clears up some mental. Let's see if it puts a little bit more positivity in the world and gets people like, ah, oh, like a breath for a second. Like breathe in and be like, oh, okay. Like we're okay. Yeah. I have a selfish question that I have to ask you. If you're someone of my size and a girl, what would you recommend that we do for self-defense? Like, are you going to say carry pepper spray, take a defense class? Like, what do you, what would you do if you were talking to your daughter? Mm, I don't know about for my daughter, but I think that people should learn how to carry firearms and carry firearms right now. That would be my suggestion. I would get like a CCW and learn to defend yourself that way. I think that martial arts is obviously a good thing, but I think that's not... It's a scary place right now. You know what I mean? I would get a, I would get a gun. Okay. So that's probably like a way darker answer. Than no, I, like, I, I, like I asked. Kickboxing? I to, yeah, I thought you were going to say take a self-defense class. Yeah, I don't think the self-defense classes are, they're the. It's like, what am I going to do if there's a huge guy? Yeah. I mean, if Michael wants to do something to you, you're not going to be able to stop him. I don't know. Even with self-defense class. No, but it's true. I mean, listen, I think I've heard, was it you talking, was it you and Rogan talking about it or not? When it's like, if you. You know, you could take a very capable woman, but if you like a guy like you, you go and attack even the most capable woman, like you're a huge guy that can really do some damage. Like unless you have something that gives you an unfair advantage like that, like you're not, you're fucked. Like you're not. Yeah. And not even like a, a big guy, like it's the average guy versus a, a equipped girl is still going to be. It's going to be bigger, dicey. bigger and stronger and more aggressive and more angry and more dangerous. You know what I mean? They have for the on that instance they have handguns. I actually just bought one for my son. They have handguns. They look like guns. They re- work like guns. It's like a CO two powered, and it has like a, a clip magazine like guns, but it shoots metal or rubber hard rubber balls. Eighteen shots shoots somebody in the face. It's not illegal. You carry it. So what about a little girl? Like say there's like a ten year old girl going to school. What would you say to that? You obviously can't carry a gun when you're ten. What do you do? Uh, yeah, definitely can't carry a gun. I would talk to, like, I do talk to my kids about knowing their surroundings and knowing who they're, who they're with and then make them very clear to them. How do they, how do they speak to people? Who do they not speak to? How do they how much control their distance and know their, their surroundings? Again, I'm not a self-defense expert by any means, but I think those are really important right now. And especially with the kids, there's a lot of like, you constantly keep hearing all of these stories of these uh, sex trafficking and child How is that story in Georgia not one of the biggest stories in the country there right now with 40 children, under 40 young children that were just freed from being abducted? Like, how is that not one of, how is that not another, on every- There was like 100 show? in Michigan and like 150 in Ohio. And there's like, when you talk about the media skewing and not giving information, it's way more important for them to push this, the Black Lives Matter protests slash riots and the Trump- tweeted something stupid is so much more important than like our children are being abducted and raped but nobody's talking about that there's a girl that i follow her name is coco and she is a a trafficking survivor and her parents trafficked her Mm -hmm. from the time she was two to 14 years old so dark and she thought it was normal 
because obviously it's her parents, and she lived a completely normal life. She would go to school. She cheerleading practice, straight A's, would come home, and her parents would sell her at night to police officers, lawyers. These are all her words. Politicians, business Politicians. And so when she was 14, she was watching a commercial on TV, and she saw an abuse commercial, and she realized what was going on, and she escaped. And she's now becoming a lawyer for other kids that are being trafficked. And she said that a lot of these little girls, they end up becoming prostitutes or drug addicts because they don't they don't know. So she's really speaking out against it, but she she says she needs protection all the time because and I think that's maybe why the media is not talking about it because it's such a it's such a huge issue and there are powerful people involved with it. Yeah, I think the media is not talking about it because the people that are involved or could be implemented in it are the people that are big supplier or uh, funders of these media organizations and of these things they're they're all interconnected and that should be the biggest news that we talk about constantly right now and instead we're talking about a cold that kills 9000 out of 100 billion it's, it's she she said she goes why aren't people marching for the children yeah and then when they did have that in hollywood zero coverage zero coverage of it none well this is why i think these media like i've said it on this show like that i think traditional media channels are going to die because what's going to happen is like listen this is a minor media property compared to what we're talking about but with more and more people getting like there's no gatekeeper to a podcast there's no gatekeeper to someone like a joe rogan or an npr or serial or this show like there's like there's no like there's no big money that comes in and says you can and can't do this or like you know we have to be careful not to piss this person off or that like sure maybe you lose some advertisers and you listen and you lose some listeners but then you gain more and i think that's the beauty of the internet is a lot of this stuff cannot be hidden anymore but there's still a segment of the population that goes to mainstream media and it's like you could not have had the conversation we just had on a mainstream media mm-hmm. you'd go and you'd be one you'd be screaming on one side somebody else would be screaming on another it'd be five minutes and then it would go back to something else that's clickbaiting like that's how that's how it happens i mean and so people can't get the real information in, in theory what you said is true but like if you did get a big enough following and you were a massive and you did have enough eyes on you there would still probably be those same people that are controlling the media and trying to control it getting at you and making sure that you don't talk about the wrong thing it's going to be harder though because if you think about like a cnn or a fox news or an nbc like there's only so many slots that can air right, right. like where you know like if you're you know a cuomo or a, T- a carl tuckerson or whatever these guys are like they they fight for spots and they fight for prime time because there's only so many amount of eyes that tune in at specific times. But if you're something like this, like you could be list, this show could be going on while a million other shows are going on and people can pick and choose. And so they can get big on their own without being limited to the gatekeepers of what those mainstream media platforms have provided. Does that make right. sense? And I can watch this whenever I want, yep. you know, this exact episode. Yeah. You are welcome to come back on the show anytime. I have to come back. I have a question before he leaves. I've been waiting. <laughs> okay, we know. What? Okay, so yeah, he's like, where is this coming from? <laughs> he's been jacking off to porn in the back, so he just yeah. he, we just got his attention. So earlier you wait, used... wait, wait. First, you got to read the what's the headline of the porn that you're watching? <laughs> oh, it's dark. It's dark. <laughs> no, so okay. So earlier you mentioned movies. I'm curious. Have you seen and are which one do you like more? Because you spoke about like underground some an underground fight that took place, Bloodsport or the what is it a kickboxer with jean-claude van damme because those are kickboxing correct like they, they talk about like the kumite fighting what do you think of He's those a movies quirky. i've seen both movies actually kickboxer one with van damme it was probably one of the first times that i realized that kickboxing was an actual sport it wasn't like a martial art because 
most of that movie is is super far fetched and they're fighting with glass and and like weird shit. But there were scenes throughout the movie where Van Damme, after he was trained, would have a fight in a stadium, and all of a sudden there's like there's a ring and there's guys with like these multicolored shorts and it's like an actual it's like boxing, but they're kicking it. So that was cool. Bloodsport was a huge huge part of my childhood too so i guess what's the ruling on a guy like van damme is like he's somebody that's like a serious so funny like, story like yeah, that's you, where i was going my next like question a, was about like that. like say you and your prime van damme and his prime like you worried about van damme no no, no. if you had to no. fight one of those same thing with bruce, guys, with bruce lee actually is the, the same thing like you have actors and then you have athletes right like it's just not the same who you're, do you think's the best a, fighter in history the best fighter in history well that's like such a broad it's a big history. Uh, I think Mike Tyson is probably at, Dude, you up seen there that fucking probably guy lately? ever. Yeah. What the hell's going on there? Lord, have you seen Mike Tyson lately? No. What does he look like? He He's dropped, like fully he, back and scary as hell. Yeah. He dropped like ton of weight. He's all juiced up. Is he going to fight Roy Jones soon? Again. He's supposed to fight Roy Jones. What do you think of Steven Seagal? I've heard he's a real clown. <laughs> yeah. Steven Seagal a, uh, has a really strong reputation of being a, uh, like a quack, like being like completely like delusional about martial arts and like says things like, oh, I never fought in the UFC because my techniques are too dangerous. It would kill people. So you have to, you know, that was my best Steven Seagal impersonation. We talked to Steve. But yeah, he's a, he seems like a, like a weirdo. There was um, Joe Rogan was telling a story on one of his podcasts where there was a, a trainer who like choked him out and he like shit himself or something. Yeah, Gene LaBelle. I heard that's a, that's a real story. story yeah. Choked Joe out? No, choked no, Steven, uh, Seagal. Steven Seagal out. Okay. Steven Seagal like, tried to challenge people, I guess, back in the 80s or whatever. Have you and Joe ever fought? No. Never? We, he had a, not this past time I was on his show, but one of the times before that, he had he had just um, built his badass studio that he's in now, which is fucking Looks insane. like a spaceship. Oh, bro. So well, not that one in Texas, but the, the one he was at here. It's really, really nice. And uh, it's like a museum. There's all these badass artwork. And he's got like his cars in there. But he has like a, a nice gym in there too. And he has this, it's like a pad on the wall that's like electronics. And you hit it and it'll tell you how hard you hit, right? And so uh, we're there and he's like showing it to me. So we start kicking it. And I'm assuming that I'm going to kick harder than Joe Rogan. Not the case. So, Joe, seen me, does the, so oh. Joe's like really winding up and just kicking the fuck out of this thing. And, and I'm like frustrated. So I'm trying to kick it harder. And my kicks looked better, but his were a little heavier. He ends up beating me and ends up on the internet. And he's like, Joe Rogan kicks harder than professional kickboxer Joe Schilling. This last time I went on his show, he was like, bro, remember that last time you were here and kicking that thing? I was like, yeah. He's like, I tore my fucking meniscus. I haven't been able to do shit ever since. He tore his knee trying to beat me. So I'm putting that out there. <laughs> I still won. Actually, you know, I'll end this with one thing that, again, that I wanted to say earlier that I thought was funny. So when I met Joe, I was meet, picking him up down in the, or not picking him up, just meeting him down by the, the ballet okay and it was that awkward like handshake like fist bump elbow bump thing because i didn't know you i was like totally is totally made it weird hold on for it's, sure made it's it for weird. sure you that made it weird yeah you 100%. are so weird well so I, that's the whole thing is i was like okay like should i do the elbow because everyone's doing that or is it not that big of a deal and so I, should i go for the handshake he went for the handshake so then i kind of got thrown off and then i'm thinking oh shit he is kind of intimidating. Is he going to roundhouse kick me now in the head? But no, you, so you make everything He's fucking like, weird, man. Michael's like, yeah, Taylor's going to come downstairs and meet you. And I'm like, cool. I wonder if Taylor's a girl or if it's a guy. I don't know. And then I'm walking around the corner and he's like, oh, what's up? I'm Taylor. 
So I reach to give the hand. Oh. He does like the elbow, and then we kind of meet with like a, a hand, and then I like patted him on the back. And I was like, oh my god, dude, I'm so sorry that I had to say. You know, like, is that how you have sex? No, definitely not. Yeah, it's but less awkward. Taylor came on our podcast. Taylor had a really big problem with coming in one minute. So he, he's come on a lot of sex expert podcasts and learned that edging actually will help solve that. Edging? Yeah. What's edging? Basically going to the um, that climb, almost to the edge of climax, but not all the way, and then you back it down. Joe what? is so glad he didn't shake your hand. I feel like we could work hand. on this. So what is... What? There's, a, there's a reason there's a huge wall between you. Right. Uh... What's your mental thought process when you're having sex and you come in a minute? See, I've tried anything. I've tried any, anything and everything. Like even if I, you like look at the wallpaper, you look at the wall, or you think of something, you trans, you basically, what is it? But like your stroke somewhere. rate is the same. Like you're not, there's no like. You got to switch it up. Go quicker, slower, depending on the heart rate. You got to measure those things. Your vitality. I've never thought about. I actually think I feel like Joe you like you got to like stay calm in that motion, like that movement. You know what I mean? Like. If it's a minute, you gotta like slow. That. Have you tried pulling out and doing something else? Oh and, yeah, to definitely. calm down. Oh yeah, definitely. Usually, always. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta, especially if it's like you have to. He doesn't have time to pull out. It's only a minute. You gotta right. go quick. Yeah, you trust me. You have to act fast. Three pumps and. I mean, I've, I've probably had a, that problem maybe three times ever, Listen, but not like not like every single time. Every yeah. single time. But you gotta learn from that that. Because that's a bad, it's a bad, you gotta get it's some, bad. You gotta get some control yeah, and let there. me tell you what, girls don't come in a minute. So, I, I mean. Know, that's, I, trust me, I know that, definitely. They're much harder it's to It's like get an off. aperitif at the restaurant. Like, where the fuck is my appetizer, my entree, and my dessert? You gotta work on Have that. Have you tried whiskey? Oh, is yeah, that... that's, honestly, like, when you drink and you get the whiskey dick, oh, yeah, that's the, that is a whole different story. That Then you don't have to worry about it at all. But then you can't be going around getting shit faced all the time. Joe, you're about to go down a huge rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, I don't think guy. you realize. We don't, don't want to get to the story where he's fisting someone on a boat. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's on a few episodes back. Whoa. There's been a lot so, of stories. So long story short, he's <laughs> so tried. It's a good thing you didn't shake his hand. He's tried a few different things. <laughs> you, you gave him a fist bump. <laughs> you gave him a fist bump. I had a pat on the back. <laughs> See, like that's the guy that should be quarantined. Like that's right. the guy we're like, all right. right. I'm so sorry I sent him down to get you. I'm, I didn't even think about that interaction, but next time you come on the show, we'll put a mic right here and he can come on and you can coach him through. Well, that's what I get for showing up 20 minutes late, and I apologize for that. It's okay, we relate to it. Don't okay. worry. Cool. Joe, where can everyone find you? Pimp yourself out. Pimp myself out. Joe underscore shilling, S-C-H-I-L-L-I-N-G on the Instagrams and I think I have a Twitter. I never use it. When, when's the next fight? I think mid-October. They haven't given me like a date or an opponent yet, but they were like... How's that work now? Can people people can't go right now, right? No, no, Lisa. And it's, they're doing them on different states. So like I think they have one, Bellator has, who I fight for, they have one in Mohegan Sun, which is in Connecticut. And I'm not sure that they have audience there. So what do they do? They just rely on pay-per-view right now? I think it's not even pay-per-view. It's just uh, their cable, whatever their cable deal is. I'm not sure how they... I guess sponsors, TV sponsors, and, and commercials. Does that? Do the fighters still get paid the same amount during COVID, or is it like in you know? Because I imagine they're they're losing a shitload of revenue if you're losing the live event. But do the, does that impact the fighters? That just or does the Bellator or UFC take the hit for that? Um, I think that the the promotion takes the hit for that on some fights. I think if you're promoting a mega fight like a Conor McGregor, where you you're selling out giant arenas, that they would probably hold off on that until. Because then it's they're taking a big hit, you know what I mean. But like on the the average guys, I think that they, and I might be way wrong, but like 
I think that Bellator has a deal with their TV station and then they buy a certain amount of time slots or have Bellator on those time slots because they're going to bring commercial revenue on those times. So I think that's where they're making their money. But where it really hurts is like the small time shows where guys get their experience so they can get to a Bellator or UFC. None of those shows are going on because they have no TV deal. So they have their only source of income is from sponsors and the event like selling tickets so if that doesn't happen then nobody's yeah nobody's getting better so even that like stagnates and slows down the the sport so to speak if you ever fight in person again i would love to come see it a hundred percent well joe i have a feeling we're gonna have to restrict a lot of accounts after this one yeah there's gonna be a lot there's gonna be a lot of i'm gonna be hitting that restrict button a lot i have a feeling i saw you on skinny and you motherfucker (laughs) yeah I don't think so. I am unfollowing you. I am open mind. I am pissed. Be open minded and non judgmental. It's a way better state just, to live just in. Just tell me one thing that we said that wasn't true. How about that? <laughs> just come up with one thing we said that wasn't true. Listen, you're gonna piss you're gonna piss off the, the non free thinkers here. I don't give a fuck. I was almost abducted once as a kid too. Really? When oh, you told that go. story, I was like, Oh my god. It flashbacks. Really? You had a you had a rat tail and you were Finn in the Nutcracker. No, this so. wasn't. I'll tell this really quick because it's very short. I was in I was at UTC Mall in La Jolla. Okay, we were. I was in seventh grade and I had Audio Shoes. Audio's a skate company, and they were like a very common black Andrew Reynolds Audio skate shoe. And I was in Brookstone, which is like a place you can go and like buy like yeah, books okay. and massagers, all sorts of things. And there was a guy that came up to me and said, "Hey, I That's really like those with. shoes." Those shoes are, are really rare. They're not. They're very common. And he said, hey, do you know that San Diego down there? He goes, if you want to give me those shoes, I own that San Diego and a bunch of other ones. I will take you a, on a shopping spree in there and you can have everything in the store. You can pick everything you want. I just need the shoes. And I thought it was a strange proposition. So I said, what? Like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, like, if you want to take them right here, we can go right now over to the store. He's like, no, 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 no. Meet me in the underground parking lot. Like, it's, it's like a stacked parking structure. Meet me in the bottom of that. And I want to put the shoes in my car and then we'll walk back over there. He goes, but I'm not, I can't walk you over there right now and get it. You need to meet me in the parking lot by yourself and give me those shoes. Meet me over there in five minutes. And he was I thought like, you said really this was a quick story. And, yeah. no, and then he left and that's the end oh, of the story. Let's make but it as quick as your performance. Those, that guy wanted those shoes. He, he didn't want the fucking shoes. He wanted me to get close to his car and he was going to try to abduct me. Wow. Fucking strange. There's a lot of weird people in the world. Yeah. Well, you're going to be on the podcast next time Joe comes in. We're going to, oh, we're going to go through your life. Joe's like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> no, 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 I think, I think, I mean, I feel like maybe we could, I think we could, we could like set up like a, a game plan for your next sexual <laughs> encounter. I'm, I'm all about it. Try to make that work out for yeah, you better. I feel bad. All right. All right. Another episode. Thanks Covered for coming on, Joe. Here. Come back anytime. All right. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Oh, hello. We have some hot pink new Skinny Confidential pop sockets. You saw them on my Instagram story, and we are giving five away today. All you have to do is tell us who you want to hear next on the Skinny Confidential, him and her podcast on my latest Instagram. Takes five seconds. We love your feedback. As always, thank you so much for rating and reviewing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>